And good morning. It is a wonderful morning here on Tuesday, October 24th. We are well into the fall time. Tom Rafferty working in for uh, Paul Healy this morning. Paul is on a uh, he's on a dental activity, I believe. So good morning, nice to be here. I haven't been here in a while, so uh, you know, have patience. We'll get through the three hours. We have some great guests today. And at any point, if you'd like to join us, call, ask a question, a comment, it's 508-222-1320. Great to be here. How are you today? Hopefully you are doing good. What a nice autumn day. Crisp temperatures. What are we, about uh, 59 or so degrees? It is beautiful out there. Foliage looking nice. We will hear from meteorologist Jim Corbin, I believe in the second hour. No, in the first hour, I think around 9.50, he'll call us with a complete look at our weather. Guests for today, we will have Dr. Owen DeBoy. He is the chief of pediatrics and primary care. He practices internal medicine at Sturdy Associates in Plainville. And of course, he's... Uh, affiliated with Sturdy Hospital. He's going to talk about childhood respiratory infections, uh, getting your infants uh, inoculated for certain diseases, and he's also going to talk about uh, COVID and where we stand with COVID, uh, the data and information, how serious it is, and uh, he's also going to talk about just about any respiratory illness. So if you have a comment or a question, especially parents, you can give us a call at 508-222-1320. He'll be on the phone lines. However, there is another phone line, so you can call in and talk to uh, Dr. DeBoy. Dr. Owen DeBoy, he practices out of Sturdy Associates up there in Plainville on the corner of Route 106 and Kelly Boulevard. So uh, very experienced, and uh, he'll be great. We're going to be talking to him in just a few minutes. Actually, I think he's calling right now. Also from the Attleboro Cultural Committee, Heather Rockwood, Jennifer Keating, and Doug Green. And in our final hour, Attleboro City Council at Large, Ty Waterman. Let's go to the phone lines. Good morning, Dr. Owen DeBoy. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. Thank you for being so prompt. Let's start out by just asking you, um, give us a little bit of your education, your background, your history, and how you uh, are now currently at Attleboro uh, Sturdy Associates in Plainville. Uh, so I got my medical school education at NYU and graduated there in 2008 with an MD-PhD. I then went on to a dual residency in both internal medicine and pediatrics and the University of Maryland. 
And then I decided afterwards that I went to come back up to the Northeast. And so I settled with Sturdy Memorial Associates, now Sturdy Health, in Attleboro. I see both pediatric patients and adult patients. Very good. Actually, uh, just noting uh, your history, I mean, you've been in this business for over 15 years, 20 years or so. If you keep that up, you're going to make this a career, Dr. Bowie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope okay. Um, my guest on the phone lines, Dr. Owen DeBowie. He is the chief of pediatrics at Sturdy Memorial Associates in Plainville. Um, I know we want to get a lot of information out. First of all, what is the definition of a respiratory illness? What is it, and how do young, middle-aged, older folks uh, come down with respiratory illnesses? So a respiratory illness is basically an infection that affects the breathing in the simplest way. So this could be viruses, this could be bacteria, things which are part of respiratory illnesses can be like colds, other things occasionally are more like pneumonia, which is considered a lower respiratory illness. Most respiratory illnesses are transmitted by what we call droplets. As we speak, you know, a little bit of spit, other things go in the air. And then we inhale those, they go into our noses, they go into the lungs, and then they begin to affect our system. I see. Okay. And the thing is that when we're first born, as one can imagine, our airways are smaller, and we haven't been exposed to as many viruses in life, so our immune systems are a little bit weaker. As we get older and have more experience, our immune systems get better, but then as we begin to age, our immune system gets a little bit weaker again, which is why the very young and the very old are at higher risk of a more serious disease. Mm -hmm. And how is somebody, um, how are you diagnosed with something like this? Do you have to see a physician or be screened so that it can be prevented or... Is it mostly infants and, and the older population have already caught whatever it is, RSV or, or um, COVID or a bad cold? Um, which one is it? Is it mostly diagnosed before the illness happens? So most illnesses, you actually catch the illness a few days before you actually get symptoms. So... In a general thing, do you have a respiratory illness? Most people realize that I know this beforehand. For a specific thing like you have COVID, that usually needs to have a test to say that that is that particular respiratory illness that's causing that disease. Uh, so for a cold, most people probably listening, you know, know when they have a cold, say, I have a cold, this is probably a cold, and treat it themselves at home. It's more that when it feels a little bit more serious than a cold, either you're having a higher fever, you're having more trouble breathing, you say, this doesn't feel right. That's when you definitely want to see a healthcare professional to get more of a diagnosis to see if there's more that needs to be done to try to help you support your breathing or if there are medicines that can be given to try to help alleviate those illnesses. 
Okay. Um, now, you are at Sturdy Associates in Plainville, yeah. um, and you see a variety of patients. Are a lot of the uh, parents coming in with these exact symptoms that you're describing? My child having trouble breathing, nose congested. Uh, so we're beginning to see the season of some nose congestion. We're beginning to see the thing of my child's wheezing a little bit more, those types of things. Some of my colleagues down in the other offices have actually noticed that uh, more and more kids are beginning to have RSV, which is one of the respiratory viruses. It's known as respiratory syncytial virus. This, for most kids, is an extremely runny nose and that, but occasionally it leads to a little bit more of a wheeze or a cough. And in those kids, they definitely should be seen in the office to see where they're at, whether the symptoms are mild, or whether they may be benefiting from a little bit of medicine. The more important thing is, of course, medicine likes to be more prevention than curative. So the more important thing is to try to prevent people from getting these diseases. And um, as you see some of these patients, I've done some reading, uh, are some of the mothers, or is it true that some of, uh, you know, uh, a woman who is with child, say five months, six months pregnant, they can be inoculated so that their unborn child will not catch RSV, is that correct? Yes. So this is an exciting year in medicine because they're actually is finally a vaccine that can be given to expectant mothers between the 32nd and 36th week of gestation, when they've been prevalent between that, that, as that can actually mount an immune response and help transfer some antibodies to their unborn child so when they're born they will be protected against RSV. So yes, this is this is one of the new exciting developments that has come out this year. And is there a test now that uh, infants can take, or some kind of screening where uh, you could tell as a doctor this person, this child, has a good chance of catching RSV, or vice versa? Okay, so there are some conditions. So most infants will catch RSV at some point in their life in the first two years of life. The more important thing is that there are certain conditions which make it more high risk that if they catch RSV, that they will have a more serious illness. Some of those are what we call extreme prematurity. So these are infants who are born before 32 weeks of life. Some of these are also uh, infants who may have certain respiratory illnesses, cardiac illnesses. However, even though these are the kids who are at more risk, all infants are at risk. That if we look at the national statistics of those that need to be admitted to hospitals or ICUs, the vast majority of the kids who are admitted did not have any one special risk factor. So that's why this year we're trying to emphasize the prevention of either the mothers getting vaccinated against RSV beforehand, or 
if that is not there, there's also a shot that can be given to infants in their first eight months of life when we're entering the RSV season that provides basically a long-term antibody protection for about five or six months to try to prevent RSV. So there are two options out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, our guest on the phone line is Dr. Owen DeBowie. He is a pediatrician. He's also an internist. He specializes in respiratory illnesses with children, uh, also the older population. He works out of uh, Sturdy Associates in Plainville, very experienced and very knowledgeable of the things he's talking about, obviously. Um, Dr. DeBoy, uh, if young people, and there's going to be more than a few, uh, come down with RSV, um, I read about uh, a medication. I'm not sure if it's being used yet. Infants under eight months should get what is called Befortis. Yes, this is Befortis. This is why I talked about. So Befortis is the other preventable mechanism we have to prevent RSV infection. So this is why I was talking about a few minutes ago in which when we're beginning the RSV season, which tends to usually run sometime around October to maybe about March or April, any child when they're entering that season can potentially be given Befortis, which is a one-time injection, which will provide some protection through that season to prevent the effects of RSV if they were to catch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, are there side effects to something like that? And are there other medications currently being used for RSV or, or basically for COVID? It's not the same thing, but it is a respiratory illness. That's right. So, uh, Befortis is in generally very, very safe. Most of the side effects that could happen from it are the side effects that would occur in any child that's getting an injection. Uh, one of the things on it is if it's known that your child potentially has a bleeding disorder, that there should be some caution with it. Like any medicine, there's also a potential risk of an allergic reaction, but all the studies when it was done really did not show this to be a major issue. If someone was to catch RSV, for the vast majority of people, it's what we call symptomatic care, which is making sure that the nose is clean, making sure if they have any fevers that we're treating it with either uh, Tylenol, if they're less than six months old, or Tylenol and ibuprofen, one of the important things we always say is never give a child aspirin for other reasons, and basically make sure that their breathing is good. If their breathing is beginning to get a little bit worse, sometimes with RSV or other viruses, which are known as bronchiolytic infections, sometimes the doctor, if they see them, will give them a short course of a oral steroid to help with the breathing. If, and we never want this to happen, it gets even worse, then occasionally the children might need a short course of hospitalization to give them just some supplemental respiratory support. Mm-hmm. Unlike in adults, in adults probably most people have heard about Paxlovid, 
which is for COVID. Uh, Paxlovid is approved only for those above 12 years of age. For those less than 12 years of age, there is no approved antiviral. So the other thing, although we're talking mostly about RSV and COVID, and of course we can't forget about flu, is preventive measures to try to prevent getting these respiratory infections. And these are the measures that we've all heard about, all talked about, but always needs to be emphasized, which is good hand hygiene. Because some of these viruses, after we cough them out, can rest on doorknobs, can rest on surfaces. So always making sure that you wash your hands. Always making sure that when you have a cold or a cough, that you're coughing into your sleeve, that you're preventing these viruses from getting more airborne. You know, it's those common measures, which are the first line of defense, and then the next line of defense are the uh, vaccines, which do significantly cut down the risk of serious illness from these viruses. My guest on the phone lines, Dr. Owen DeBowie. He is an internist. He specializes in childhood illnesses, respiratory illnesses, and we're talking today about RSV. He practices uh, in Sturdy Associates in Plainville. Dr. DeBowie, we have to take a short break. I'm just going to ask you to hold for about a minute and a half. And uh, we will be right back with more information from Dr. Owen DeBowie right after these words. It is 20 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on AM 1320. WARA meteorologist Jim Corbin calling for sunshine today. High of about 60 light southwest winds Tonight, mostly moonlit, not as cool, low in the upper 40s. And for Thursday, becoming mostly sunny again, high in the low 70s. Mild sunshine continues on Friday. Currently, we are at about 51 degrees. Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul Healy this morning. And uh, on the phone lines... We have Dr. DeBowie, Dr. Owen DeBowie. Welcome back, Dr. DeBowie. I thought <laughs> there was a commercial break there. Obviously, there wasn't. Radio's all computerized now, so uh, eh, we threw in a little bit of uh, segue music and gave the weather forecast. So, um, Dr. DeBowie, um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of the other respiratory illnesses. COVID is certainly making the news again. Um, The statistics are up. More and more people are uh, coming down with COVID. It might be a different strand. However, the virus is weaker. Can you give us um, some information on what's happened since May when the pandemic was declared over? Okay, so COVID probably is going to be a virus that we will be dealing with probably for the rest of our lives. So it has shifted from a pandemic virus in which it's a new virus and it 
sweeps across the globe and many, many people get sick, to more of what we call an endemic virus, in which is something that is there. The population has built up a little bit of immunity to it, which is a good thing, but it is still out there and can still be deadly to people. So this is something that's there. And as COVID goes along, as time goes, each time that people get infected, the virus multiplies. And sometimes with those multiplications, as new viruses formed, small little changes occur in the proteins or other things, which is how we have these new what we call COVID variants out there. So the COVID that's out there today is similar, but is not the same exact virus as the COVID that was out there three years ago. So this has now led to the recommendation, and I know that this is somewhat controversial with people, that probably each year, similar to the flu, there will be a new uh, vaccine that's against a more updated popular circulating variant to just try to boost the immunity of everyone out there to try to prevent them from getting more serious disease and hopefully prevent hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and death. Okay. Um, so it is a weaker virus. It still is, uh, you know, changing all the time. Um, one of your colleagues, Dr. Brian Patel out of Sturdy, he is the chief medical officer, said the cases are usually not serious, but some do require hospitalization. And I'm sure you concur with that. Um, there's no evidence this variant is causing more severe disease. How can people still, it is a serious virus, certainly for the older population, would, would people 65, 70 and older be most prone to catching COVID at this point? So what I would say is that, uh, People 65, 70 or older are more prone that if they were to catch COVID of having a more serious illness. So the thing is that there are certain risk factors which make if you catch COVID a more serious illness. One is being slightly older. Another is having either asthma or COPD. Another is occasionally having diabetes, having a weakened immune system, which occasionally can happen with some people who are undergoing cancer treatment. Those people who fall into those categories are at much higher risk than if they were to catch COVID of having a much more serious disease. But I want to emphasize even someone who's young, 20-year-old, Still, if they caught COVID, there is a chance that they could have a serious illness from COVID. Okay. Very, very uh, encouraging news and also very sobering news as well. Um, my guest on the phone lines, Dr. Owen DeBowie. He is a pediatrician. He uh, also is an internist. He works out of the Sturdy Associates in Plainville, 
Um, many years of experience. I think you said you uh, have worked here in the Attleboro area with Sturdy for 12 years or so, Dr. DeBowie? For 11 or 12 years, yes. 11 or 12. Um, if you are a parent or someone who is prone to respiratory illnesses, maybe you have a small child, or some of our many, many seniors who may be li- um, listening, you could give us a call at 508 222 1320. The number again, 508-222-1320. If you have a comment, a question, a concern uh, that perhaps Dr. DeBowie could answer for you. Um, Medications for COVID. uh, Is there any standard ones now? Um, Is it something that if you're diagnosed, you should go to a hospital for a day? So luckily, most people who catch COVID do not need hospitalization. And this, again, is somewhat of where people's symptoms are, how they're doing. So most people, luckily, who catch COVID do not need to be hospitalized. It's those in which they're actually feeling very ill. They're having trouble breathing. They're having fevers, which cannot be controlled with Tylenol or ibuprofen. Those are the people that probably should be evaluated by someone to say, do they need more? For some people, and those at higher risk of more severe illness who are older, there, are, there is a medicine known as Paxlovid that if given within the first five days of covid can can significantly reduce the risk of serious illness. Uh, the recommendations for those also is more those that are at higher risk of serious disease, or obviously if someone already within the first few days seems to have serious disease of that. But for luckily right now, the vast majority of people with COVID is what we call symptomatic care, which is treating the symptoms, being at home to quarantine for the first five days. That's still extremely important because that is probably when you are most infectious and you don't want to infect other people. And then wearing a mask to cut down on your uh, spitting out the virus as you're speaking for the next five days at least to just, again, cut down the risk of other people catching COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you, um, in your practice at Sturdy Associates in Plainville, you regularly see patients, um, you know, without giving specifics. How many patients are you seeing nowadays, like in the last few weeks, who are either RSV or COVID, or bronchitis? What's the breakdown? Are you seeing a lot of serious numbers on these uh, um, illnesses because we're in the busy months of September and October? What I would say is probably in the last two or three weeks, the number of people coming in with, you know, coughs, colds, other things, of the typical respiratory virus has been getting, has been increasing. Uh, 
it's beginning, we're beginning to get towards that season in which people, the weather's getting colder, people are more indoors, people are closer together. I'm beginning to see the respiratory viruses really beginning to pick up now. So far this year, luckily it hasn't been that bad yet. But again, the weather has not really turned that cold except for the last week or two. Okay. Dr. DeBoy, uh, we are going to have to take a break right now. I'm pretty sure my computerized clock here with PSAs and underwriting announcements is pretty accurate. So I'm going to ask you to hold. It's going to be about two and a half minutes, and then we'll be back to give out some more um, information on respiratory illnesses, COVID, RSV, and uh, he'll be back with us on the line momentarily. Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul Healy on this Tuesday, October 24th. It is 9.35 a.m. Good morning. This is not Paul Healy. This is... Tom Rafferty with you till 12 noon. By the way, stay with us in the second hour. We'll have folks from the Attleboro Cultural Committee. Mr. Doug Green will be here. Heather Rockwood and Jennifer Keating as well. We'll talk about the grants, what they do, how you can get involved. And we are back now with you. Let's bring up Dr. Owen DeBowie. Thank you for your patience, Dr. DeBowie. And uh, tell us more about your practice at Sturdy Associates. Um, I'm sure you have quite a caseload of people. Do you have a lot of infants that are less than a year old that are coming in? Uh, yes, I do have a number of infants that are coming in that are less than a year old because I'm still accepting patients of, you know, of the children and, you know, kids continue to be born. So, yes, you know, that parents are still delivering, so I'm still having a lot of infants coming in that are less than a year old. Luckily, most of them have not gotten sick yet, but their parents are doing an excellent job because their immune systems are weaker naturally of making sure that they're not around sick people. Okay. And um, are you finding that some of them, we've talked about RSV, can, can you pronounce that once again so that people can really hear what that is? And I'm sure people listening might have had some of their kids that have gone through that. Right. So it's respiratory syncytial virus mm -hmm. is the full name. But we tend to just say RSV, obviously, because the other is a mouthful to pronounce all the time. So, and it's one of the respiratory viruses that's out there. Uh, we've always known about it, but again, before this year, we did not have any really good mechanism to try to prevent it by immunization. This year, for infants, we have two very good options that are available, as we mentioned before. The first is that mom, late in the pregnancy, could receive a vaccination uh, by her OBGYN, by her pharmacist, 
to try to build some natural immunity to be transferred to the infant when the infant is born. Uh, the other option is the uh, shot that the infant could get when they're born, if they're born during the RSV season or if they're born out of the RSV season when uh, we're entering into the RSV season if the child is less than eight months old, the pediatrician can then give them that shot in the office mm-hmm. to try to help prevent the child from getting RSV and especially getting the serious complications that can occur with RSV. Dr. Deboy, I think we have a phone call. I'm going to bring them up on the other line, and you should be able to hear them. Caller, are you there? Hi, Tom. This is Jim. I just had a quick question for the doctor. What does he think about in the last few years, it seems like there's a big issue with breathing through your nose. And you have all these nose cleaners like Navage. What is his thoughts on that? Uh, so, obviously, most people should breathe through the nose if possible because that helps to humidify the air as they're going in. It also, we have a little bit of our natural immune system is there. Naturally, you should breathe through the nose. Uh if you have congestion, and this gets into another thing, sometimes some nose cleaners, uh, nasal lavages are good. The one thing that I always do have to mention with that is if someone's using something like a neti pot, like a nasal lavage, they have to make sure that they're using water that is appropriate and safe. Tap water is perfectly safe to drink. But if the tap water isn't boiled or other things, it's not necessarily as safe to run through your nose. So if one was to use a nasal lavage of some type, I would make sure it's either a commercial thing that's pre-bought, or if one was using one's own water, to make sure that at least the water was boiled, if not that they were using some sort of distilled water for it. So not tap water. So if you get something like a lavage, you want to make sure the water is not just tap water that you use. If it's tap water, you may want to make sure that it was boiled and cleaned because just tap boiled. water occasionally has some perfectly safe microbes in it naturally that you don't want to necessarily put straight up your nose without killing those off. Well, a saline, would that work in something like that? Uh, nasal saline, like I said, stuff that you buy commercially that's designed for the nose is safe. They've been sterilized. Nasal saline that you spray up the nose that you get from stores are safe. Those tend to be perfectly, you know, they don't have any contamination in them. They're designed specifically for that. For that. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you very much for the call. And, uh, Dr. DeBowie, we also have a person in studio with us. I think he wants to ask a question. Um, who it is is uh, it's Peter Wiggins. He actually does a radio show here. He is from Norton. We called him the honorary mayor, mayor of Norton. Hold on, hold on, Peter. I want to make sure I get you. Uh, okay, there you go. Peter Wiggins wants to ask a question of Dr. Bowie. Go ahead, Peter. Dr. Bowie. Um, um, I've been vaccinated for COVID mm-hmm. and the flu, so I'm good to go. That That is a wonderful thing that you've been vaccinated for both the COVID and the flu. Those, yeah. those are excellent, excellent things for that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, 
If I, you know, if you don't have to tell me, but how old are you? 37. 37. Okay, beautiful. Then, yes. As long as you've gotten your COVID shot and your flu shot within the last few months, you are good to go for this season. Yep. Okay. All right. Thank you. There's uh, Peter Wiggins. He does a radio show here on Thursdays. Yes, Thursdays at 2 o'clock, and he does all the Norton news, Norton information. Norton information. Yeah. On Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Great. And he also starts out Dave Kane's program. With a cock-a-doodle-doo. Yes, yes. So, Peter Wiggins. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Uh, Dr. Owen Dubois, our guest. Uh, if you'd like to make a phone call, 508-222-1320 is our number. Um, Dr. DeBowie, you do work out of Sturdy Associates in Plainville, which I believe is Messenger Street, correct? Yes. Um, for making appointments or getting more information, how would they do that? Okay, so for making appointments with uh, any of the sturdy physicians, just say that you don't have a primary care physician, you can actually go onto the sturdy website to see which physicians are still accepting patients, and then you can call those offices because mm -hmm. we're more than willing and happy to take care of this community that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. If you have if you have an acute sick issue, the building in Plainville does have an urgent care downstairs mm -hmm. that's open seven days a week. And uh, something else we didn't cover yet was uh, getting inoculated for the flu, colds, flu. Yeah. Um, are you recommending that just about for anyone? I have heard, I've talked to a few people who say, Gosh, I got the flu vaccine, and, and a week and a half later, I was sick. I didn't feel good. Um, what's, what's the truth about that, about the flu vaccination? It's got to be something that helps uh, and keeps your immune system strong. Yes. So the flu vaccination is, the first thing I have to say is that anyone who's receiving a flu shot it is not a live vaccine. The flu is not a live vaccine if you actually receive a shot of the flu shot. Uh, it is a bunch of the proteins that are there that are there to prime your immune system. Like all vaccines, they're there to use your natural immunity to expose them to elements of that virus to make your system then get used to that virus and to then be able to fight off that virus if exposed to it. Sometimes people may feel for a day or two some flu-like symptoms because that actually is their body ramping up the immune system because some of the symptoms we attribute to the flu are actually an effect of our immune system producing the cytokines and the other substances that occasionally can make us feel bad. Mm -hmm. However, the flu vaccine cannot give you the flu itself. And one of the things I do want to thank you for bringing up is that we should not forget about the flu. In the last few years, 
with COVID being out there, with all the new information about RSV, flu is still out there. Flu still can cause people to get very serious illness. Flu can cause people to be hospitalized. And already, even though this flu season is young, the CDC is already attributing three people have died of the flu nationally so far this year. Mm. My goodness. Um, And obviously, uh, sobering news. Unfortunately, those statistics will go up. Um, Can people can people exist or go on through a wintertime without getting a flu vaccine? I mean, you wouldn't recommend it, but I mean, obviously, that could happen. Yes. Yes. I mean, the the issue, again, is most people, as they got older, have been exposed to flu in their life. So most people may have some very low baseline level of immunity. Again, similar to our discussion about RSV, those that are at most serious risk of severe illness from the flu or those that are very young or those that are much older. Uh, The very young is because they've never been exposed to the flu before, which is one of the reasons why for all children less than nine years old, if they haven't received two flu shots before that flu season begins, we recommend that they get vaccinated twice, one month apart, to just prime their immune system. And the elderly, this is why we have a slightly different flu vaccine out for them, which is for those that are 65 plus, because, again, the immune response isn't mounting as much. I would never recommend someone does not get a flu vaccine. I've gotten a flu vaccine. My entire family has gotten a flu vaccine again this year. But some people can go through the season without a flu vaccine, but they also have to realize they are taking a greater risk that they could get very, very sick. Mm-hmm. Because many people feel like they say, oh, I've had the flu. It's not that bad before. But usually what they're talking about is actually that they've had a really bad cold and not the flu itself. Not going into any specifics, but I've had a number of my patients who have come to me over the years who you know, then say to me, after they've had a year with the flu, I never want to go through that again. It was awful. I'm going to get my flu shot every year going on. That the flu is more than just a bad cold. Mm-hmm. Dr. Owen Deboy, my guest, I got to ask you, um, you are very, um, very well uh, speaking. You are uh, organized. Have you ever done a radio interview before? I'm going to guess yes. Uh, not really. No. That's amazing because you, every single detail of your speaking is so well, um, you know, I guess organized much better than mine, let's say. <laughs> so you are out of uh, Plainville. It's Sturdy Associates. Um, I believe they can call, what, 508-809-6380 or go to your website, correct? Yes, that is one of the numbers there, you know, and that's for my office, but again, uh, Sturdy Health and has offices in Attleboro, has offices in Norton, has offices in North Attleboro, has offices in 
Mansfield. It has offices in Rehoboth Seekonk. So there are many, many of my colleagues who are more than willing to help, to see you, to help with your health as part of Sturdy Health. And so really you should find someone to be your doctor who's convenient for you to get to. Okay. We are out of time, Dr. DeBowie. I want to thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to address these issues for children, for seniors. Um, and I hope that in some small way we've helped some of our listeners avoid things like RSV or the flu or COVID. And I want to invite you back again maybe, you know, in a few months, maybe after the winter time, to talk about uh, these issues again. That's perfectly fine. I just want to make one last pitch. Yes. Which is that actually at the site in Plainville, we will be holding a flu clinic this Saturday Mm -hmm. from 9 to 1. So if anyone has not gotten their flu shot, this would be a great time to go and get it. 9 to 1 this Saturday. You know what? I have not gotten my flu shot yet. However, I'm seeing my doctor tomorrow. I wonder if he's going to. He always says you got to get that flu shot, but we'll see. If he doesn't, then I'll come up to your your flu vaccination. Is it uh, most benefits are accepted? Most benefits are accepted. Okay. Well, Dr. DeBowie, thank you again. I appreciate the time and the information. I wish you the very best, and we'll be talking again. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Okay. There goes Dr. Owen DeBowie. He is the Chief of Pediatrics at Attleboro Associates in Plainville, specializes in child and infant illnesses, uh, COVID, uh, flu, RSV, a number of other illnesses, mostly just uh, um, illnesses involving the breathing passages and things like that. Eight minutes before 10, we'll take another break. And I believe, I'm not sure, but I think meteorologist Jim Corbin will be calling with a weather forecast for the metro listening area. We are at four minutes before the hour of 10. Good morning. Tom Rafferty in for Paul Healy. I think Paul is either at a dental appointment or a... uh, He might be teaching a course up in Worcester. I'm not sure. He left me a a sheet here. Tom, one of the following is true. (laughs) Lunch with Carol, dental appointment, probation officer, touring of the Norfolk County Jail, visiting his sister in Providence, Plain Ridge Racecourse, Foxwoods, Foxwoods, Foxy Lady. That's yeah, no, that wouldn't be Paul. I don't think so. No. Anyway, yeah, it could be a variety. Paul is not that kind of a person. He doesn't. We're all that kind of a person, Tom. No, admit it. Admit no, it. No, we're no. all. When you take the when you take the facades away, we're all that kind of a person. No. <laughs> no, we, we, you know, we change, we evolve, we mature. Do you know Paul never says swear words on the air? Yeah, on the air. I don't think I've ever heard him say a swear word <laughs> off the air. Oh, I think we have a call. I am Look, we have gonna, a call. 
I'm not going to get into a debate with you because you'll start telling <laughs> stories about me. And your, and your, cho- and your choice of clothing? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, you're on WARA. Tom, just give you a quick weather update. We've got uh, some sunshine, some high clouds out there. But overall, this is going to be a great stretch of weather right through. It looks like most of the weekend uh, for outdoor activities. We're going to be about 60 today for a high. What you see is what you get, falling back to the upper 40s tonight. And then upper 60s tomorrow, so we're back to room temperature for highs tomorrow. And how about this for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Low and mid-70s at least. So a throwback to uh, sort of late summer. Uh, our next chance of rain of any consequence, probably not until either late Sunday or Sunday night, and uh, that could linger into a portion of Monday. But right now, early indications are, a week from today, of course, Halloween, uh, it's going to be breezy, dry, and chilly. Not bitterly cold, but uh, a cooler uh, situation. We may not get out of the 40s on uh, Halloween during the day. So, uh, again, a nice stretch of mild conditions the next several days. What's the current temperature, Jim? It's about 51 51 degrees? Yeah, and that's a lot okay. better than it was at sunrise when it was th- about 38, 39. Yeah. So we've come up, we've done well. So we're going to go up about another 10 degrees by, say, 2 o'clock this afternoon. I just called the city council being, uh, the city council building in downtown Binghamton. It's on Hawley Street. They yeah. have a current temperature reading up there of 51 degrees. Oh, wow. Same thing? Yeah. Isn't that something? Usually you're a little colder there and a little snowier, too, in the winter. Yeah, we have no snow yet, but, you know, wait a minute. (laughs) Give it time. Now, there could be snow, uh, Tom, in uh, parts of New England uh, near or just after Halloween. So the first few days of November, uh, we're obviously getting each day colder as we go through the uh, late October, early November average-wise. We could be looking at some snow flurries not too far away from the greater Attleboro area, perhaps, uh, after Halloween, a few days after. So stay tuned on that. That's why this week, when we're going to be in the 70s, beginning on Thursday, uh, take advantage of that because uh, it's, it's back to uh, November reality uh, as we go into uh, the next month. So uh, a little bit for everyone. Just because, though, if we do get an early snow, it usually means the winter isn't going to be all that snowy. So if you don't like snow, you should almost be rooting for an early snow, maybe just after Halloween. That could be a tip-off that uh, it won't be all that bad this winter. Then again... Uh, there are others that would want a lot of snow, and therefore you should be rooting for it not to snow right after Halloween. Absolutely. And, Jim, uh, keep, keep, oh, wait a minute. Keep looking at your text from your phone there because I'll probably be sending you one something like, Jim, I'm in the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and it's <laughs> snowing really badly. I have to drop three boxes of blood to uh, Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, is how far, there any? How far, no- <laughs> how far north, Tom, have you gone in New Hampshire to a hospital? How far north? Have you met up uh, the Laconia area with Lake Winnipesaukee? No, I think furthest north is. Uh, um, you went to Lebanon, New Hampshire. Though, yes, right? just a few weeks yeah. ago, Lebanon. I've been there several times. Yeah. I think Lebanon. And then I've been up a little bit past the White Mountains where the old man in the mountain, there's a, there's a hospital about, Notch. yes, way up there that we go to occasionally. And again, yeah, I was there. That might there. be what, Littleton, little New Hampshire? Maybe? It could be. Yeah. You want to go with me for the ride just to, you know, describe <laughs> the weather? <laughs> the, the old, well, the old days from Lindenville, Vermont, in college, we used to go up through St. Johnsbury in mm-hmm. Vermont and, uh. We and uh, there would be two ways to go. You could either go Route 89 to Lebanon and go up, uh, follow the river, up Route 91, or you could go straight up through New Hampshire, Route 93, right up to 
uh, the Lakes region and right up through uh, the Old Man of the Mountain, which of course is not there anymore. It fell off a few mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, and then you went, you go through uh, Littleton, New Hampshire, go down into the valley, come back into St. Johnsbury, and then get into uh, Lindenville, Vermont, which is now the Northern Vermont University. They've changed the names of us, a lot of these colleges. But uh, yeah, no, I uh, just beautiful uh, scenery up there. I'm sure you'd agree. Absolutely. And when I'm off the air sometime, I'll describe to you the last time I was in New Hampshire and Maine, I got lost on Route 24 South and ended up in Maine where those little peninsulas are. There's little water. There's a water on each side. I, I had been to a Portland. Is that Portland? Uh, I believe it was east of Portland. As you look at the map of Maine, oh, I was yeah. way east of 95 uh-huh. and Route 1. Well, as they say it up the Albahaba, <laughs> I mean, I live in Bangor and yes, somewhere there. And Holton and Caribou and Presque Isle. Not that far north. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> okay. But uh, once you, once you sw- hit a certain point, the, the, just like you get into the Boston area, the accent changes. Once you get north of about Waterville, in Maine, as, as someone who lived there for six years in uh, Portland, uh, the accents change, and uh, once you hit Bangor, you know you're way up there because they got the, they talk like this. <laughs> How you doing, Jim and Tom? And okay, lovely state though, state of Maine and Vermont and New Hampshire. But okay. anyway, uh, we brought that up. I'll end up this time again. Enjoy this warmth that we're going to have the rest of the week because I think uh, the first several days of November are going to be quite a bit colder. Okay, I do. Thank you. Snow in the forecast soon, maybe in a couple of weeks or so after Halloween. Thank you, Jim Corbin, for that excellent weather forecast. Uh, Let's see. Where is he? Oh, okay. Um, Let me see. We are here, and we have, is it Heather? This is Heather. Okay, let me me, uh, find you. Is that you, Heather? Uh, Is it me? That is you. Great. (laughs) <laughs> All right, Heather uh, Rockwood, we have Doug Green to my left here. How are you, Doug? Hi, Tom. And you both are on the Attleboro Cultural Committee. We are expecting one more person, possibly? Yeah, with some children, I think, in tow oh, as well. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But Heather is not just on the council. She is the chairperson of the council. I okay, am. so yeah. she's Let's the she's the one that makes it happen because, as we all know, I am the worst administrator on the entire planet. Well, let's start with Heather Rockwood. (laughs) You are the chair of the Attleboro Cultural Committee. Tell us about the committee, why it was formed, and and what you folks do. Well, first, it's the Attleboro Cultural Council. Um, So we have the same rules as all the other committees and councils as uh, the rest of the city of Attleboro. Um, It was actually formed, um, I'm not super great on the history of the council, but I think it was formed in the 1990s, um, about 30 years ago. Um, And we've even heard from some people like, oh, I was on the council in the 90s. Um, And what it does is it takes money that is budgeted from the Massachusetts state budget to the Massachusetts Cultural Council. Then the Massachusetts Cultural Council gives money out to all the cultural councils. There's over 300 in Massachusetts in each town, and they get a portion of that money that the state budgeted to the Massachusetts Cultural Council. And the MCC, the Massachusetts Cultural Council, um, decides which town gets how much. So this year, upcoming fiscal year 2024 uh, the cultural council got three three excuse me thirty seven thousand nine hundred dollars from the Massachusetts Cultural Council to give out in grants for 
cultural events, programs, um, and different kinds of projects around town. Mm-hmm. So what we do as the council, our, our base, uh, what we do in our most basic form is we take this money from the Massachusetts Cultural Council and we decide who gets it in Attleboro. That, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it in its basic form. And right now is a very exciting time for the Attleboro Cultural Council because our grant applications closed on October 17th. So all of those grant applications are in right now. We are currently reading through them and we'll gather together in December and decide who gets that money that's being given out. So this year we did get that $37,900, but any money that's unused in the past actually gets reused back into the pot for mm-hmm. the Cultural Council in the following year. So we actually have $46,850 to give out for next year. Wow. However, <laughs> however, this year was a banner year, and I'm just going to give you a couple more numbers. Um, for fiscal year 24, we got in 71 grant requests. I think that's the most that we've had in a while. At least. At least since COVID, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 71 grant requests is quite a lot. Full budgets for those grant requests are $1,403,854. So that's the full budget, but what people are asking for totals $115,798, and we only have... Forty-six thousand. So a little less. So we we have the ability to fund a little less than half the total dollar Mm -hmm. amount of what we have requests coming in. So exactly. So this December we have um, a big day of decisions where we'll all gather together and make those decisions, which is. Uh, One of the reasons we're here today, um, we have seven members on the council, and in February, like a lot of the councils and committees in Attleboro, um, a lot of our terms are up. So we're actually going down to five members of the council this coming February. Mm -hmm. So uh, now is like the most exciting time for the Cultural Council because we're going about to make those decisions and we see how our numbers are lower, lowering soon. So we would like to invite people to join the council and now is the best time to do it because you get to help decide who gets the grant money for the next year. And I think that's like the most fun part of being on the council is getting to go through the applications. Although it is a slog, it's 70 applications you have to read through and remember and think about and make decisions on. But you get to then decide who gets this gr- this free money that we're just giving out. Oh, you stole that line from me. Oh, you <laughs> totally you did. stole that line from me. Oh, <laughs> we did the we did the farmers market uh, last year, mm-hmm. and I stood out in front of our little tent thing, and I just yelled, "Free money, free money!" It, it's what it so. is. It's free money that <laughs> but, we're giving out. Exactly, but I mean, it's what our job is is to look at the different. Uh, sort of assess the different proposals we get, and it's from the schools, from the library, from the theaters, from anything, anything, um, uh, uh, workshops, uh, concerts, anything, and and then allocate money to mm-hmm. to produce those programs. Uh, so it's it's definitely hey guys, um, it's that's that's like as is uh, as Heather said, that's that's the fun part. 
is, is being able to, mm-hmm. you know, check things out, making sure that they are, you know, a benefit to the Attleboro community. Um, you know, many people remember the steampunk uh, festivals uh, mm-hmm. that we've had, you know, the big, big one that we had just before COVID. Heather was the responsible person for that. She put that yeah. whole thing together. I'm the founder um, of the so, Jewelry yeah, City she's Steampunk the, she's the fi- Yeah, I should have said that. She's the founder of that and the bringer of that festival to Attleboro, which they are now trying to sort of build back up again. Um, which we just had the first one back in what was it in March April April, yeah. April so and we'll be again in October 2024 exactly so why can't the two members who will not be on again you said you are going to mm-hmm. lose two why can't they can't the mayor reinstate them in some oh, way? Oh, yes. Uh, so just like every other council and committee, we have terms. So every term is three years, and people that sit on the council can do two terms consecutively. That's six total years. Mm-hmm. And um, one of these members has finished out their term uh, of two years. Uh, I'm sorry, of two terms, six years consecutively. And so they do have to step off for at least one term. Uh, mm-hmm. When people do come onto the council, they're either starting a new term or finishing out a previous member's term. For example, I started in August 2021, and I was up in February 2022 and had to start a new term. Mm -hmm. So uh, my term is technically only four or five years um, total for the the two terms together, Um, and then I'll have to step off for three years. I have one more year on mine. Yeah. Let's introduce uh, the young lady to your left, Jennifer Keating. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. Hi. Uh, my name is Jennifer Keating, mm-hmm. and I am, um, I've been a um, resident of Attleboro for over 20 years, living right here in the downtown area, mm-hmm. raising my kids. One of them is with me right now. Um, and I've been part of the Attleboro Cultural Council, I think, it was COVID. Is it it was 2020, yeah. Um, I joined when we were meeting only on Zoom, and I hadn't met these people in person. Same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that it, I joined when it was kind of a mess. We were catching up from, you know, everything had been canceled. So all these organizations had been awarded grants the previous year, and then the events were canceled. So that first year that I joined, we were trying to figure out how to, um, you know, to – forward that money to the next year and the paperwork behind that oh. so is uh, now finally cleared up but it did take two years mm-hmm. to clear up all of that paperwork thank goodness for ann kingman mm-hmm. kingman our treasurer she is a wonder and cleared all of that paperwork up terrific jennifer you have and we all also i want to get a little background on heather as well i'm very impressed you are uh, you're from worcester uh-huh. You are the director now of the IlluminateArts.com. Mm-hmm. You have a BA in theater at Amherst. Mm-hmm. UMass Amherst, yeah. Yeah, you've done classes, workshops. You're acting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your acting resume, holy smokes. I, I mean, uh, amazing. So um, I... I I'm just flabbergasted that, you know, I mean, this is a natural fit for you to be on the cultural committee. Yeah, um, I know. I I pretty much, I tell people that I grew up in the theater Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I I did. It was my my home (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my family. And um, I went to school for theater, eventually wound up in New York, as Mm -hmm. people do, um, working for Disney theatricals on Broadway. Wow. Um, And Mm -hmm. then 9-11 happened. 
that's kind of the turning point where I was, you know, reevaluating, do I want to spend the rest of my life here or invest more mm-hmm. back home? So I moved home, and um, once I started having kids, like this one that you're going to mm-hmm. <laughs> be introduced to in a little yes. bit, um, it was hard to maintain the lifestyle of the theater, which is usually nights and weekends, which I'm sure Doug mm-hmm. can attest to. Sure. Um, you know, if you keep going with this another year or two, you're probably going to make it a career. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. You never know in yeah. the arts. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, we. I was introduced to the homeschool community back mm-hmm. in, I want to say 2005, here in Attleboro. It's a sprawling community, and they needed a drama teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, what started as a couple of kids in one class now has become a couple hundred kids and maybe 70 classes over the mm-hmm. course of a, a year. Yeah, pretty much a whole school. Um, and um, we are serving kids from all over. And I don't want to babble on and on and on, but the Attleboro Culture Council has been instrumental in us being able to imagine things that we never thought were possible. Mm-hmm. All right, I had to jump in on a personal note here. Uh, Miss Jen over here is, is too modest by far because, <laughs> you know, she was involved in some heavy-hitting productions in New York, and mm-hmm. she gave that up and came up here to, you know, make sure that our young the young people have, you know, she works a job at Starbucks to make sure that she can mm-hmm. provide these things. And so we've Terrific. tried, you know, over community theater, we've tried to help her out with, with some stuff, with some space and everything. And we try to make sure on that. Because we're not allowed to, if, if, if a group... Uh, puts in a grant request, we're not allowed to vote on our own, anything that we're connected Mm -hmm. with just because of conflict of interest. Um, But it's such a special program. And these, I'll tell you, these young people she teaches are so creative and so respectful. You know, everybody always says, oh, what's the matter with young people today? I'll tell you, we should use these young people as Mm -hmm. models for young people in general. How about if we have them introduced by Heather? Yeah, absolutely. Hop in. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. What's your name and your background? My name is Evelyn Roca, and I have been with the company since it started because, you know, I am my mother's daughter. I did grow mm-hmm. up actually in the theater. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I have been doing the productions since as long as I can remember, and really they're mm-hmm. like the best experiences I've ever had are in Illuminate. Yeah, we're going to talk more about Illuminate. How about this young guy here? My name is Linus. Oh, wait a minute. I don't have you on. Go ahead. There my you go. N- my name is Linus, and I've been with the company for, like, at least five years. I don't really remember. I've been <laughs> helping a lot with the shows and, like, backstage. And what is your last name? LaFond. Linus LaFond. I like mm-hmm. that. Wow. Very good. Falls falls trippingly (laughs) off the tongue, as they say. (laughs) What's your favorite part of it? Um, I don't know. All the classes are really fun, and I like helping out with the main stages. Mm -hmm. Okay. We'll get more into that as well. Let's go over to Heather Rockwood. You also have (laughs) an amazing... Uh, resume. Um, I'm not going to, I'm, all I have is Salem University. You also, is your current job, you are the communications 
associate for the Massachusetts Historical Society in Boston? Yes, I was actually given a promotion over the summer. I am now the communications manager at uh, the Massachusetts Historical Society, and I've mm-hmm. been there about two and a half years. Wow. Where is that located in Boston? Uh, it's right on the Fenway. Uh, right, okay. It's on Boylston Street, right mm-hmm. beh- right between, I always forget the two schools, the Berkeley and yes. the New England Conservatory. Right. They're right on either side of the building. And that building that we are in has been there since the 1890s. And that's You're not where too we've been far from the hospitals then, right? No, nope, not far from the hospitals. I can see the sicko sign from oh, yeah. my boss's right. window, which is lovely every morning when I go in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's okay. We both had lousy seasons. Anyway. <laughs> so we have Heather Rockwood. Mm-hmm. She is the chair of the Attleboro Cultural Committee. Mm-hmm. We have Jennifer Keating, who Who's is the, the clerk? director. She, clerk. She's the clerk or secretary. Yeah, and she also, keeps our minutes and makes sure that make sure mm-hmm. that all that our minutes are. I'm just a slog. I just no, play. Doug. I just say, I just take up space. Doug, you are <laughs> one of the. He's an integral member. He is. <laughs> Doug is one council. of the smartest people I've ever known. Doug tells me that if I keep up my good behavior, he'll actually call me a friend in about six years or so. <laughs> We've only known each other for what forty years, Tom. Yeah, something, like, something, that, like, something yeah. like that. Um, and we're talking about the Attleboro Cultural Committee. Your council, Tom. Council. <laughs> oh, council. No. ACC, ACC Attleboro mm-hmm. Cultural Council. council. It yeah. used to be called. It used to at one time it was called the Arts Council. Okay. And originally, just this is just as because you were talking about the uh, uh, origin of it before. It was originally funded by the original Massachusetts Lottery, the Megabucks, mm-hmm. and that's what its purpose was. It was the. Um, it was to fund the arts in in mm-hmm. in the state, so they wouldn't be taking taxpayer money to do it, or willingly given taxpayer money anyway. Yeah. And so that was back in the '80s, something like that, because I was on the council back in the '80s, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then wow. they changed it to the culture council, so now we do all sorts of culture. It's not just arts, what we would traditionally call art related, like we don't just fund painting or sculptures or theater. We can do that, but it's not. So if there are things that are culturally significant, you know, it could be Jewelry City, you know, with the history of, of, of the area. It could be, um, you know, all sorts of historical uh, mm-hmm. types of things that have helped uh, bring the city to prominence. science? In, of course. Yes. Any kind of, yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of that through the libraries and the schools mm-hmm. and the Audubon centers as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, you had mentioned that how much is it, 49000 or so? Yep, we have $46,850 to give out this year. Okay. That money is given out by the state. How do they divvy that out Attleboro oh, gets 46,000 how much does Worcester Massachusetts get or or you know Taunton do they do it by population or number of groups they do it uh, I know they have several factors I, I don't make those decisions so I don't know everything mm-hmm. about it but they do it by population by need and um, mm-hmm. also I think by area and seeing what's around there and what kind of culture happens in the area okay mm-hmm. good very good I know um, Boston gets the most. I know oh, that. Oh, obviously, <laughs> right, right, yeah. You know, if you want to just step right up and mention something that I haven't asked, I, you know, I have a few questions here. 
Are you looking for more volunteers for yes. the Attleboro Cultural we, uh, Council? <laughs> council. Uh, we have rolling uh, enrollment for mm -hmm. the council. You can join at any time, and you can step off at any time. Your term is three years, but you don't have to be there for the whole three years. Um, there is no age limitation, so we can take high school students, we can take retirees, and anyone in between. Um, and the only things you need to join the council is an interest in culture. You don't even have to, like I started a festival, Doug and Jen do theater, but you don't have to do those things. You could mm -hmm. be a business person, but you're just interested in the arts. Please come and join us because we need math and numbers people too, because I am not that and we need them. <laughs> um, but interested in culture and if you wanna say in what gets funded locally, because that is, like I said before, in our essence, what we do is we fund cultural programs, events, and things of that nature in Attleboro and around mm -hmm. Attleboro for Attleboro residents. Um, to join the council, it's actually quite an easy process, just takes a little time. You have to let the mayor know because the mayor is basically our manager and boss. And uh, you just email her and say you want to join the council and she may ask you a few questions. And then if she wants you to join the council, she will pass you on to the city council where you go go to a meeting, you answer a few of their questions, and then they approve or deny you. And mm -hmm. then you just have a little paperwork to fill out and you have to be sworn in, and then you come to our meetings. If you want to find out what our meetings are like, our meetings are open to the public. Um, our next one is on, oh gosh, it's on Mondays, November, I want to say 18th is the next one. Um, it's right before, yeah, it's the Monday before Thanksgiving. The Monday I think, before right? Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think so. And it's open to the public. We're at the library at 7 p.m. in the tech lab usually. Um, and then we are going to be making our grant decisions in December. So if you want to join the council and have a say in what's funded next year, now is the best time to join. After that meeting uh, for the rest of the year, uh, it's not as exciting, but we do meet monthly um, just to manage the grants, to talk about the programs that are happening. We do try to share things on our social media. We try to attend the events that we can attend we can attend public school events for kids but we try to attend everything that we can and um, yeah I think it's a really fun thing that we do is we get to hear about first of all you get to hear about all the programs that people are interested in doing around town but then we also get to show up and go I funded this I, I did that <laughs> I helped make this happen sure. and that is not only a really good feeling but um, the people there really appreciate it and if you let them know that you're on the council um, they really love to see that you are attending their program mm -hmm. one of the things that the ladies are, are really good at that I'm a little bit slow at being the oldest by far person here on the on the thing is they they put how together, old are you Doug uh, yeah I don't know <laughs> I I, I'm so old I, I might be the oldest I'm person so old I can't room. remember anyway yes. Um, uh, they put use one of Dave Kane's lines. I have shirts older than you. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> I probably do. Um, uh, they put together these computer surveys, which mm -hmm. we put out through the website and through the, the the social media. You know, asking people what type of programs they're interested in funding. So we have sort of a, a benchmark, so we know you know what, what do people more interested in music? Are people interested in theater? Are people interested in public art displays? Like we had over in Cuddy Court, the, you know, the uh, mm -hmm. uh, the previous mayor did did a nice job over there, you know, uh, refurbishing that whole area. And Jen has uh, been instrumental in uh, organizing a lot of the 
concerts and events that they've had over mm-hmm. there um, mm-hmm. and during the summer and stuff. So we're we're pretty active in the arts community in general ourselves. Uh, but it helps to know what people are interested in. What are people looking for? Mm-hmm. Would they like to have a food truck festival? Would they like to have a you know an outside festival the way they do with the um, so, uh, festival is a festival for the senses. Is that mm-hmm. what they call it? Expo. Yeah. Expo, Expo for the senses. Yeah. Yes, you know you're going to correct me. Expo for the <laughs> Expo for the senses. You know and those types of things. The the uh, the fire and ice uh, uh, festival that they have uh, in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. You know those types of things. Is that what people are interested in? More family events. More you know whatever. Uh, so it's been uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a really wonderful working partnership. Even better now that we're you know put COVID behind us. Mm-hmm. So. We do have to take an underwriter announcement break. Is that, is that what they used back. to lovingly call a commercial? Yes. Okay. No, yeah. Under, a nonprofit under, radio writer, station. Under private writer. Private I want to ask that. We're nonprofit. We serve the public, the community. We have community involvement in so many ways here. Mm-hmm. Could WARA apply for some of that money? Absolutely. Actually, new this year. So any nonprofit that wants to do uh, any kind of cultural, humanist, scientific program can mm-hmm. apply for money um, and depending on what they want we can't pay for food and we mm-hmm. can't pay for transportation so if you wanted to throw like a block party and play, pay for the music for that mm-hmm. we would look at that application and new this year for-profit businesses could apply this past year. Our application has closed, but we're hoping that that moves forward as something that they can do. So if a business wants Mm -hmm. to do a really interesting program or a free program, um, teaching, workshop, and they want to pay for the supplies, that's something that they could apply for. So I will come here hungry, and I will walk. How's that? Exactly. Okay. From middle from Middleborough or Lakeville. That's a, that's a heck of a walk. Yeah, that's twenty seven miles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back with Heather Rockwood, Jennifer Keating, Doug Green, and what is your name again? Go ahead. Evelyn, Evelyn Roca. Eve, are you her daughter? Yes. Evelyn Roca. Mm-hmm. I gotta write that down. <laughs> Where's my pen? Evelyn Roca. Excuse me. When you get to be my age, you have to do this. Oh, I write things down all the time. I understand completely. (laughs) Roca. And how about this cute little guy there? What is your full name? Linus Lavon. Linus Lavon. That is the most awesome name. (laughs) He's he's got a great acting name. Linus Lavon. I think it's Lafond with an F. We'll be back with all five of my guests right after these words. It is 10.33, Tuesday morning, October 24th. Tom Rafferty sitting in for Paul Healy today. Paul will return tomorrow. In studio, we have several members of the Attleboro Cultural Council. Um, From left to right, Doug Green, Evelyn Roca, Linus... Lafond. 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 I'm sorry. Lafond. And then we have uh, Heather Rockwood, who is the chair. And then we have uh, Jennifer Keating, who is the director of this huge operation called the Illuminate Arts Company. Company. I want to go back to uh, 
Evelyn. So how did you get it? I mean, are you like a, almost like a student of the Illuminate Arts, right? You've been in some productions. What else have you done with them? Um, well, I've done basically everything I can because I just enjoy all of the arts so much. Um, I did our junior productions, and I've done a lot of dance, and I've even started teaching a few classes. Um, there's a lot of interning that I've done and script writing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've basically just done everything that I can. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Where are you from? Are you still in school? Um, yes, I am in school. Um, I am homeschooled because it is a homeschool mm-hmm. company. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I am from just a couple minutes away. Oh, okay. Um, that's right. You're her daughter. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, that's good. And you're enjoying, can I ask how young you are? Uh, I am 15. 15. Amazing. I would hate to tell you what I was doing when I was 15, but anyway. And Linus Lafon, tell us more about Linus and, uh, you know, your fascination with uh, this group and, and acting and things that you're interested in. Um, it's a really fun group to be in, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of fun classes and things like that. To, um, I think I like the main stages the most, probably. Mm-hmm. They're always really fun. At the end of the year, a big thing like that to do. My mom makes most of the costumes, too, usually. Wow. She's really a good sewer. Mm-hmm. Now, what's main stages? It's like just our... Um, productions that we do mm-hmm. like uh, we did frozen la- this year i think like the like in april and it's basically just the shows that we do mm-hmm. can i ask how young you are i'm 12 years old wow geez you look so grown up <laughs> 12 years old where do you live um like eight minutes from here. Okay. Is he your son? Mm. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Although right. I do feel like they're all my yes. kids. Yes. I call them <laughs> yes. all my, my kids. Absolutely. Sure. Well, um, so there's Linus and there is Evelyn and we have uh, Heather. Jen. And Jen. And Jen. Let's talk more about uh, the group. You're the chair. Mm-hmm. Um, you recently had a grant workshop. Yes. Uh, in September, after the grant opens, we always hold a grant workshop for anybody that's nervous about filling out a grant, who's never filled out a grant before. We go uh, through best practices of grant writing, but we also go through the actual online grant line by line, question by question, and then we answer questions at the grant mm-hmm. workshop. It's about an hour and a half of your time. It's live so that people can come in. We can meet them. We, can, we can't talk about their program with them but so we can't talk about specifics yeah. about somebody's parents but we mm-hmm. go over the the uh, mm-hmm. what what's expected of them the types of things that we would fund and not fund yeah and 
things like things that people may not know, such as um, tell us your entire budget, tell us everything that you have in your budget so that we can look at your budget and go, which parts can we fund, which parts mm -hmm. can't we fund? Because a lot of the time when we get a budget um, in the application, they ask you to fill out line by line, but sometimes we get like, here's the project, here's the total amount that I'm asking for. And mm -hmm. it's it's the one line and we're like, well, what are we paying for though? Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot harder for us to make a decision if we can't see like, oh, there's you know the, the bits and pieces that I have to buy. Here's the time that I'm paying my employees. Here, like all the little mm -hmm. pieces, we like to know and see what that is. Um, and that's the kind of things you'll learn by going to the grant workshop rather than just trying to do it on your own. So if someone is denied the full amount mm -hmm. that they want, you can at least teach them, here's a way to write a grant. Maybe you can get a grant from another area to fulfill what you need? Yeah, so so not only if we don't fulfill an entire grant or deny them outright, there is an appeal process. Um, they can after we give mm -hmm. out, the, so we send out the denials for the grants first, and they have, I think, three weeks to contact the Massachusetts Cultural Council and give them a reason why they think that they should be reconsidered. Mm -hmm. The MCC has the final decision, and so if they think that we need to reconsider them, we then have to come back together as a group and find money for the program, meaning we have to um, take money from other programs that we have funded mm -hmm. to fund that program. Um, we do get to decide how much we fund of that program, um, but they do have an appeal process, so we're not the NLBL, the MCC is, but we do get to make the initial decisions. Mm -hmm. um, I forgot the second part of your question. The second part was if they if they don't get all the money they want, can they oh. go to another source yes. and look for it with the grant skills that you might have taught them? Yes, actually the MCC has a lot of programs uh, that they give out money for. Uh, for example, one that is closing today is called the STARS, S-T-A-R-S, capitalized a mm -hmm. residency program. It's specifically for Massachusetts schools to bring in a scientist, an artist, or a humanist to come and have uh, kind of like a fellowship residency for three days in that school. And they can um, they can get funded to be in that school to run workshops, to help teach something, to help paint something, to teach music, whatever they think that they that school needs as a program. Um, that is closing today. So if anyone anybody is listening and they work at a school and need an artist, humanist, or scientist, scientist to come in, get that in tonight. Wow. <laughs> Go and find it yeah. right But that's now. not through us. That's not through that's, us. That's through that's the MCC. That's not through us. That's yeah. through the, the yeah. Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's important to realize for people, I mean, we are the local one, uh, but there are hundreds, so if not thousands of grants out there yeah. right. for all sorts of, all sorts of things. Um, and if somebody's, if somebody's uh, like our, our grant period, our uh, application period runs from sep September 1st, September and this 1st year till October 15th, yeah, approximately, -October. depending like if it falls on a weekend, it goes to the, you know, the next mm -hmm. Monday or Tuesday or whatever. Uh, so basically um, about six weeks, uh, you have to put, you have to have, it doesn't mean you have to write it within those 
periods, but that's when you submit it. Mm-hmm. And then we, like as Heather said, we get together in late November uh, or early December to make our decisions. And then the grant, then we have a certain amount of time to notify everybody whether they are accepted or denied because then we have to take that appeals process. Mm-hmm. And of course, you have the holidays in there uh, yeah. too. So you, we, we normally go public with our results sometime, sometime in January. Yeah. Everybody will get their letter mailed right. to them and emailed to them. So always, if you applied, check the email that you gave us and the address that you gave us because some people mm-hmm. say they never hear from us and we're like, oh no, check your mailbox. Yeah, um, right. Check your email. Um, but yeah, after that appeal process, they get their letter in January. Um, there is another grant I wanted to talk about through MCC, which mm-hmm. is opening tomorrow. It's a new grant and it's really exciting. It's for individual artists and they get to apply to fund their art. Um, and I think that's really cool that they're doing individual artists. Um, I, I don't know how much they have to give out for that program, but anybody in Massachusetts that is an artist can apply for that grant. Mm-hmm. And I think that word should be spread all over Massachusetts because it's a really interesting and new grant that uh, MCC has not done before. But there are, like Doug said, there are hundreds of grants. You can go to uh, different businesses have grant applications, such as I know um, Bristol County Savings Bank has a really great grant program. They fund a lot of things in Attleboro, um, and they they have a couple of sessions pr- throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So there's diff- there's many different areas that you can go and look for funding mm-hmm. for theater, for both, arts, both for public painting. and Both public yeah, and private. private. Okay. Yeah. And then for different reasons. Like there may be, you know, there may be somebody... Uh, uh, CVS, for instance, just is just a, a, out of the top of my head, could have a grant uh, about women. If you're putting together a program, you know, for women's awareness or empowerment or a, it, some some other type of thing, whatever they have, and so they're much more specific. But and so then you, it, but every grant will give you their criteria of uh, and we and we do as well mm-hmm. we have the guidelines the, the state guidelines and then we have local guidelines that we have that we have come up with that we try to tell people you know mm-hmm. if your project fits under one of these cat one or more of these categories you know we'd be happy to look at your you know look at okay. your uh, look at your project Jennifer Keating you are the um well, I guess you're the executive director of IlluminateArts.com. When they vote, and I saw the list of and how much money each person gets, when your money is awarded to you, you cannot in any way vote mm-hmm. for your own organization, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And one of the reasons why we're here, why I have um, Evelyn and Linus here with me is because um, um, I we were we existed for seven years not knowing anything about this program that was right next door to us right in our same uh, town where we're doing all of this work and and as an Attleboro resident I had no idea about the cultural council it really is hard to get the word out and um, so I wanted to encourage people um, who aren't sure what to apply for um, it's a space to dream because. As you heard from uh, Evie and Linus, we have productions, we have classes, we have um, classes in music, acting, dance. But when I found out about the possibility for a grant, um, we started to dream and we created a puppet program, um, which three years ago did not exist. And now we have four or five large puppet classes over at Illuminate. A couple are meeting right now. 
Um, and we have an outreach team. We call them outreach teams. They are um, they go out into the community with free performance art, and um, they're called the Luminators. It's a, a puppet team that just basically they're available to go to libraries and any organization that requests them um, to bring free puppet theater. And this is all because I applied for a grant three years ago. Um, we absolutely would not have been able to do that on our own. Mm -hmm. And with the grant money, we were able to build puppets. Um, we have a puppet theater, a traveling puppet theater now. We have a stage, we have backdrops, we have um, microphones. And I've been able to bring a friend of mine from set who has a background at Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. He's able to come down and coach the kids because we have the money to um, mm -hmm. you know, pay him what he is do <laughs> for mm -hmm. that so um so you Jen, could, yeah, go yeah oh go ahead all right just so you could you could you could uh, theoretically have the next jim henson in your class like mm -hmm. right now in the next you know i cannot believe absolutely, absolutely what sure. has happened with the puppet program yeah. it is speaking to kids not just the kids who are performing but the audience as well mm -hmm. there's something about the puppets that um especially kids who might be neurodiverse in any way who aren't comfortable performing themselves when they put a puppet on their hand it's not them performing, it's the puppet. Um, just like all of us, you know, when we're younger, playing with stuffed animals and making them talk and come to life. Um, it has just opened up all of these opportunities for kids who maybe never would have gotten up on stage mm -hmm. before. And Evie and Linus are our main puppeteers. Wow. Before we get to the kids, I just wanted to point out that that wasn't just one grant. Mm -hmm. That was a series of two or three grants mm -hmm. over three separate years. That one year, I think uh, you asked for the, the, the class and the materials. Yep. And one year you asked for the, the traveling theater. And yep. one year you asked for something else. The backdrop. The backdrop. Yeah, so, so dream. Like, mm -hmm. I love that you said to dream because it's not something that maybe we can fund fully in one set but mm -hmm. if you have this idea of this program and you apply for several years in a row it can happen mm -hmm. and and this is living I'd love to hear from the kids to find out like what they think about this program and how it affected them yeah yeah you ready? well I think that the puppet theater was one of my favorite things to ever do um, it is so fun to just get on stage and have this sassy little voice with a sassy little puppet right on my arm <laughs> I play a sassy character if you can't tell <laughs> um, her name is Fanta um, but it's just been so fun because I love seeing all these children like really interacting with the puppets because I do get on stage and I'm not very obvious with this, but I actually do, I am a little afraid of being on the stage. But when I'm like up there with my puppet, it's like not scary anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just really like that about puppeteering. It's like different than most acting. Mm -hmm. Because you become the puppet. You're the mm -hmm. character of the puppet, yes? Yeah. Okay. How about you, um, Linus, with puppeteering and puppets? What's your favorite part of that? Um. Probably similar thing to what Evie said. It's a very fun altogether, all of the parts of it, and especially how you can just like be really funny and all the kids love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's okay. just a really fun experience. And we have a lot of different types of puppets. Um, I am in a class um, 
that should be running at any minute now, uh, where we made marionettes and we're learning how to mm-hmm. kind of function those so we can present them um, mm-hmm. next week. And we have these sock puppets who are part of a group, a mini group inside of Illuminators called the Sockapella. Basically, <laughs> they sing, you just have a little sock puppet. It's, it is literally what it is. It's a sock <laughs> puppet. You put some eyes and you maneuver a sock in some sort of way that you just kind of move your hands and it talks. Uh-huh. And they are really cute and the kids love them. It is really, <laughs> the sock puppets are so fun. Um, and then we've got these tennis ball ones, actually. You cut a little hole in a ten- tennis ball in mm-hmm. it. You squeeze it and it starts to talk. Mm-hmm. And so we did three little pigs with those, I believe. Um, and yeah, we haven't used those as much, but they're definitely really fun to just like kind of, they're like little Pac-Men. <laughs> Pac-Mens, I don't know. Um, where, is, where is the physical location? I mean, you have all of this equipment, you have the puppets, you've talked about a stage. Where actually do you operate? We um, rent space from Centenary United Methodist Church, the church right in the center of town across from the Y in the library. And we do our performances. Right now we do our performances um, at Tolman High School in Pawtucket because that's a stage that's available Mm -hmm. to us. We've been down there for 10 years. We do these big sprawling productions. Hopefully someday, um, and maybe partially funded by grants from the Cultural (laughs) Council will be able to um, have our performances right here in Attleboro Mm -hmm. um, to benefit the community. That's and like Heather was saying um, it's been over a couple of years of applying and reapplying for the grants that we've been able to slowly build the puppet program and then maybe some other programs as well like being able to um, you know work with a stage right here in Attleboro Um, all of that is you know down the road as you apply. Have, I, have I mentioned that we are using some full-size puppets in Christmas Carol over at Community theater, th- theater this year? They're going to be ghosts flying around in the audience. So if anybody wants to come on over, now would be the, now would be the time. <laughs> I have seen them. They are actually fantastic. <laughs> they were a little Indiana Jones looking at the beginning, but they've, they've shrouded them a little bit more. But yeah, so we're going to be doing some fun stuff with the puppets as we begin to integrate and the... Have you mentioned that ACT is funded <coughs> by yeah. grants as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. AC, ACT is... Uh, uh, the Cultural Council, in its infinite wisdom, uh, has uh, seen <laughs> seen fit to uh, to give uh, community theater uh, a grant each year, which basically pays for the royalties for our productions, mm-hmm. because most people don't realize that it takes it a minimum of a thousand dollars before you ever cast an actor just to mm-hmm. get the rights to put that show on. Sure. So that's what our grant. That's what we usually apply for our grant for is the rights. Uh, in the scripts for the different shows that we do. So we do have to take one final break. We'll do that right now. Okay, we are back six before the hour of 11 o'clock. City Councilor at Large Ty Waterman will be with us next hour. And uh, wrapping things up here as I turn on every single mic, why don't we just go around the room and basically summarize what you do, what you need, uh, and what it's all about with the Attleboro Cultural Council. Doug? 
Okay, I mean, the, the one of our primary reasons of coming on today is is just putting the word out and see if we can get some people interested. Because as as Heather eloquently put, um, are we all have term limits? Uh, my term limit doesn't come up this February, the following February, so twenty five. Uh, but we have to make sure, as as we had said in during COVID, it w- dwindled way down. And I think it, this is below five. Yeah. Below five, the uh, the 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 Massachusetts rules uh, say that they will close down the council until we get back up to that number mm-hmm. again. So in order to keep it running, obviously during COVID, it was a whole different a whole different ball game. But um, yeah, we're trying to get back up to full force, and the more the merrier. I mean, the more input that we have, the more discussion we have, the more experience we have. Uh, you know, people with different disciplines. Uh, so I would love to encourage people to come out and you know write you know contact the mayor's office, uh, express an interest, and become part of the council. It's you know, and, and it's not a big commitment. We have one meeting a month this right now is our big time of the year where we Mm -hmm. have to look over the grants and it's fun because you you see people applying for all sorts of different programs that you might never have known existed you know it Mm -hmm. could be uh uh uh, african-american history month it could be uh uh, native american history it could be uh theater as in the 17th century or something like Mm -hmm. that it could be a bunch of different things um, painting, arts, things in, in conjunction with the museum, uh, mm-hmm. things in conjunction with the historical society, all of these different things are, are things that we would potentially fund. Sure. So it's a lot of fun because you, you could find out yourself different programs that are around that you might want to take your family to that you mm-hmm. wouldn't known about before, you know? Absolutely. Jewelry City is definitely the biggest, you know, that and, and ACT is, yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, it is. It's, I mean, there was, there was just something I so absolutely cool about watching people in top hats and tails and beautiful Victorian gowns wa- strolling through the streets of Attleboro with, you know, a, a cane and a, you know, in arm in arm kind of a thing with the trolley and the whole, you know, the whole thing that was, because that was something the entire city immediately could recognize and enjoy. So yeah, please come out and uh, come out and, and meet us. And I'm sure that uh, Heather's going to be working with the new director over there. Yeah, at for the another one. area yeah. industrial museum. Yeah. Yep, I've met Victoria. She seems mm-hmm. really great. I'm excited that she got the position, and I'm excited to work with her and the board to. Um, to keep Jewelry City going. Mm -hmm. Um, I think having Jewelry City Steampunk Festival, I started it in 2017, and I think it's just an important um, cultural phenomena that some people Mm -hmm. don't know what it is, and because I hear all the time, what is steampunk? And um, it's just a spectacle, and it's whimsical, and it's for people of all ages. Actually, most people that come to the festival are families and retirees, and because (laughs) they're the ones who are excited to dress up in costumes. Who doesn't like to dress up? I know. Attleboro looks Victorian on that day. (laughs) It is the, I've I've seen the people everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's going on here? (laughs) But I want to echo Doug's plea of, uh, Mm -hmm. we're going to, in February, have five members, and so we're kind of hitting that benchmark of, oh no, if somebody decides to step off, the Cultural Council uh, may disband, and we don't want to see that happen, and we'd Mm -hmm. really love to see a couple more members. Um, We do have a quorum at our meeting, so we do ask that people 
really consider if they have the time and energy to meet once a month and to uh, read through the applications in November and to meet one extra time in December or late November to help us make those decisions on who gets funded. But we'd love to see anybody, anybody mm -hmm. who has just an interest in culture. Like I said before, you don't have to be uh, in theater. You don't have to be the founder of a festival. You can be anyone in the city who has an interest in culture in our city. Scientists, humanists, we fund all of that. So anybody who, ha and we don't have any scientists on our council. So it would be really interesting to get that perspective. Awesome. Okay. How about uh, Evelyn and Linus? Um, well, as a performer, I think um, these grants that the Adderbro, um Community C Council, uh, Cultural Council, um, is giving out is really important um, to just the community because um, none of the things that both of us are doing would even be possible if um, we didn't have these grants. Like the Puppet Theater, for example. This was only three years ago when we got that grant, and now it's this flourishing thing, and we're performing all over the place. And none of that would have happened if um, none of that would have happened if we didn't have these grants. So they're really, really important, just to you know, performers everywhere. Okay, and uh, Linus, can you just repeat the question for me? Um, what's the what's the most important part of this group that you feel needs to be addressed? We're talking about grant writing. We're talking about uh, the puppet theater. Um, what really gets you going when you're when you're involved in stuff like this? Well, I thought it was really fun when we started the puppet theater stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just a, a new and exciting experience that we haven't had before mm -hmm. and with the help of the grants we were able to make that happen do you have any brothers or sisters that that want to get involved too i have three sisters and <laughs> they're all really involved too oh yeah, terrific <laughs> <laughs> that's great just kidding um, and finally jennifer um with your group and your experience um, yeah, because I'm all on the for cultural council as well. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm just going to echo what everyone is saying. Like the without the grants, um, we can't make these opportunities possible for the community and for these kids and all the kids that will maybe see the performances at a library or a, a Shakespeare in the Park type event that we do. Um, so if if we don't have enough members on the council, none of this is possible. So definitely um, come hang out with us. It's fun, and we give money away to the artists. Exactly, mm -hmm. and it's not a big what? time. It's not a big time commitment. Right. Our meetings are about an hour, sometimes less, sometimes a little bit more. The only big time one day a year is when we have to sit down and kick these mm -hmm. kick these things around and work out the math on like who gets what. That's Would the, you have to forfeit? the monies if you didn't have enough members? Yes. Yeah, we're, they don't give out the money to uh, cultural councils that are not currently active. Wow. The city, yeah. yeah. So, so it, would, it, would just, it would just be absorbed back right. in and been distributed other ways. Mm -hmm. I do want to add as a segue yes. to your next guest, um, I found out about the cultural council because of Ty Waterman oh, going door to door <laughs> during yeah. the COVID. Um, uh, he was just meeting people in the neighborhoods mm -hmm. and he told me all about it and that's how I found out about it. So There you yeah. go. Plug for <laughs> Ty Waterman. Yeah. Um, Who doesn't love Ty Waterman? <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love Ty Waterman? We're talking about you in here, Ty. <laughs> yeah. um, one quick thing with Heather. Um, 
When is all the decisions have to be made? You're making the decisions, is it in November? And then finally in December, you notify folks, you got this grant, here's the money. Is that basically the calendar of it? Yep, so we, uh, the grant is closed. So right now we're in our review process of each individually going through all of the grants and uh, assessing them for ourselves. Um, our meetings actually, I hope you guys don't mind, it's on December 2nd. All of our meetings are open mm -hmm. to the public and sure. we have to post them to the city. And um, so we'll be meeting in the library that day. Sure. Uh, we each have, like if, when they're deciding Jewelry City, I have to leave the room. Um, I'm not allowed to vote on that. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll make decisions that day, we'll input them c together that day, and the MCC automatically sends out denial letters to the people who mm -hmm. uh, we are not giving, we are not funding. They have three weeks from them, and then after three weeks we go back into our MCC system and we uh, you know, submit all of the approvals, and then we generate the letters and emails and uh, we send everybody um, a letter that says you got the money and we have to do that by January 17th. Wow. Yeah. So it's a quick process right it at is. the end. So, yeah. okay. Um, I want to thank you so much, all of you, for being here, the Attleboro Cultural Council. And uh, we can do this again, maybe in January when all the decisions are in. Maybe oh, we can talk about. Sure, it's all public. It's all public record. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you so you meet in the library. Go, you can go to the Massachusetts Cultural Council website and find the Attleboro Cultural Council on there, and it has a list of everybody that we funded last year and how much we gave them. I saw it. Astra, yeah. my lord, last year it just goes on and on. The number of something like that. Yeah, we had processed mm -hmm. through all of the grants that had closed from 2020, and so we had a great deal of funding to give out last because year because it was a lot of things because of COVID, you know, that just didn't happen. So there mm -hmm. were still layovers of stuff that had had to be cleaned up. Okay, but, but uh, our our uh, our. Facebook page is also a good way to get get in touch with you. Yeah, get in touch with us. Yeah, yeah we're, we're on Facebook. Have a and Facebook group. Yep. And well, not a Facebook group, but a no, Facebook not a face, page. I'm sorry, yeah. Facebook page. I'm and, sorry. And we do post there. I posted there that we would be on here earlier today so that people oh, would nice. know to listen. Um, but we do post there when we uh, when we have all of our decisions made and have released the information. And we do post there when or we try to share all of the events and programs that are upcoming when we know we have funded them. Okay. Heather, chair of the committee, thank you so much for being here, all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. And we'll do it yeah, all again. Ty Waterman is in the green room, <laughs> and he'll be on next. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Where does the time go when you're on the radio? I can't believe how quickly this time is going. And in studio, we have, I believe that's your mic. Is that your mic, Ty? Pardon? Nope, that's not. That's your mic. You got me now? Uh, that's three. That's, how about that one? How about that one? There we are. I All get right. so mixed up <coughs> with these microphones. It looks like you're playing a piano up there. <laughs> yes. Good to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. No, Ty not Waterman. since we played softball and then yes. nursed, nursed our bruises and yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the bones yeah. that were hurting afterwards. Your manager took you out in the bottom of the eighth. I couldn't believe it. You looked like you 
sprained your ankle or something. For those who, who aren't aware, I, I, I sponsor a softball game uh, on campaign years uh, up at the old softball field behind the old high school that is no longer there and at, near Capron Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, had a, we had a great game, what's it, two Saturdays ago? Mm-hmm. Played several hours. Yeah. And I only pitched that last inning. Uh-huh. And we're talking about underhand softball here. Yeah. And well, somebody it's the only <laughs> inning they didn't score any runs. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, was, I had to limp off the field because I tried to lunge for a ground ball that got past mm-hmm. me and pulled a muscle. Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we can talk about that as well. Anyway, city councilor at large, Ty Waterman. I was kind of, um, are you running? I know that you filled the final term of Julie Hall when you first got on the The second half of that term. Yeah. So you've done two full terms, four years, and part of hers. Right. That was 2018 when I did that. I was was elected, re-elected in Mm -hmm. 2019, 2021. And so now, now this is your third try at a third term. At a third full term. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Five um, years. Five mm-hmm. years I've been there. Um, I know you're, a, you're an advocate for seniors. You're an advocate for the schools. Um, one of the things that, that uh, hit my attention was yesterday's Sun Chronicle the governor is coming in this afternoon to look at ways for affordable housing. Yep. You are quoted in the paper as saying there's an excellent way to do this. Uh, it's a no-brainer, and that's for the um, – it's incentives to developers to create affordable housing. In other words, if you have an older couple who has a home and they have younger children, move the older couple into their home – whereby the house now becomes on the real estate market, correct? Something like that? Uh, yeah, there's a lot of details to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the governor has recently announced her program. I'm sure it'll be debated ad infinitum. Mm-hmm. And if we can come out with something in a year and a half, we might be lucky from the legislature. But um, it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, affordable housing, I, I would say in every community, most communities anyways, is, is a huge issue. And we, were, we had a public hearing uh, recently at City Council. A lot of people came. We filled up uh, the mm-hmm. City Council um, <clears throat> chambers. And uh, beginning with a, a mother-in-law apartments, not just out back, but also the ability, I mean, this is a hearing, so we have to discuss it you know, in city council mm-hmm. um, ourselves too, which we haven't really done yet. But uh, the idea is to bring in a, uh, to allow it to be an apartment inside as well. And I noticed in the paper the other day that the, that the governor wanted to have this as big as 800 square feet that um, that relatives could come inside, but that in our hearing it, we we expanded it beyond that. W- why limit it just to relatives? Why not be able? For example, one one uh, person said, "I might want to uh, 
my, she said her husband had died recently, and she, she would be willing to open up her house for an apartment inside, and she has the space uh, for a student at Bristol mm -hmm. Community College. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, uh, would you consider if that student was married for it to be a, a young married couple? And she said, absolutely, I have the room for that. There's all, all right. kinds of ways that we can help people um, uh, find affordable housing and also help people who, have, who own those homes to make, to make some money. Mm -hmm. Why do we have <clears throat> such a shortage in the first place of houses in Attleboro? I saw the number. And it, you know, I mean, a lot of people are are living in apartments, and the the houses that are available are are unaffordable. I think. Well, I couldn't afford them. Right. <laughs> your your um, proposal is that you could uh, charge thirty percent of the tenant's income, um, meaning for people who would qualify, for people who are low income they would only pay 30% of what the developers basically are asking, correct? Yeah, that, that, that's, this is uh, not something that's really been um, ever brought up in a meeting. But okay. for example, when, um, when people go into um, public housing, when seniors go into public housing such as we have, it's based mm -hmm. upon your income. Right. And to, to, to a great degree. And, and I personally don't think that anybody should have to pay more than 30% of whatever their income is mm -hmm. uh, for, for public housing. And, and, and in my past as a social worker, I've placed people in, in Boston, particularly where I worked mm -hmm. for a long time, in, into, into various public housing situations at 30%. Is there a, uh, a limit as to if you're making really, really a good annual salary, you wouldn't want to be in, in subsidized housing? Well, I would assume not So, because no, you can afford a lot more. Right. So if there's people, say, in, in some of the subsidized housing, if one person's income is higher than another – are you saying that tenants A might pay 900 a month, whereby tenants B, who have a higher income, might be paying 1200 a month for yeah. the same housing? I think 30% is fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. that, that is what I'm saying. All right. And how that would apply to other forms of housing, we have, we have to figure this, this one out. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, we, but we have to take it very, very seriously because mm -hmm. we're pricing ourselves out for people to buy homes. Um, I, live, I live in a two, um, basically a two-bedroom, even though the third mm -hmm. bedroom has been turned into our TV room, mm -hmm. and a very mid-sized ranch. And those kinds, those kinds of houses that uh, when I bought it at $190,000 22 years ago, they're not on the market. Hmm. It's the houses that are costing seven or eight hundred thousand dollars that are on the market. Right. And we need to provide housing for people who can afford that housing. Mm -hmm. So that is a dilemma for sure. And I think Governor 
Uh, <clears throat> Maura Healy's visit today is going to be the start of, uh, you know, some, some things, some ideas that are going to be kicked around. Can you tell us a little bit more about her visit today? Uh, I just heard about it uh, mm-hmm. two days ago. So okay. I know she's going to be part of a tour through the downtown. Mm-hmm. It's a walking tour, which I hope to be able to be part of. Uh, I ha- I'm, I, I, I'm looking forward to what her speech is. It, we're meeting at 37 Union Street at 245. That's like, what, 40 feet from here? <laughs> this it, is 42 Union. Yeah, it's across the street. <laughs> yes, wow, okay. That's where we're going to be, and we're mm-hmm. going to be, there'll be a lot of chairs in the parking lot across the street from the mm-hmm. radio station. Oh, wow. And um, too bad you couldn't hang around for a few more hours. I might be able to, <laughs> but, you know, um, we ought to be able to. You know, we should get a microphone over there and get some sound bites. It's open to the public. Yeah. Ty Waterman, city councilor at large, is my guest. He's a candidate for re-election. We're going to take a short break. We will be back. 22 after the hour of 11, city councilor at large, Ty Waterman, is my in-studio guest If you have a comment or a question or a concern, he does represent the entire city. He is also a candidate, or he is one of five who will be a city councilor at large. Ty Waterman with us um, here in studio. What are, I know you're going door to door. What what are people saying? You are the connoisseur of door to door. Um, you know, you never, get, you never get to all of them, though. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't. And for those people who didn't get to see me, mm-hmm. it wasn't for lack of trying. It's just mm-hmm. we're a big city. <laughs> How do you approach people when they come to the door? Are you just high? When they high? come to the door or yeah. when I go to the when door? When they greet you or when they open the door. Oh, hi. Well, I, I introduce myself. Okay. I don't just assume that they know who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, hi, I'm Ty Waterman. I'm your city councilor at large, mm-hmm. uh, five years. And I ask them if they have a minute, and and then we we get going. Mm-hmm. I tell them the the issues that I am particularly working on at the time, and seniors would be a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. You want to hear that piece? <laughs> sure. And for seniors living out there or listening, you can give us a call at 508-222-1320. Well, first of all, I, I try to ascertain if they actually know where the senior center is. Not everybody does. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a number of seniors that, uh, from what I can tell, uh, have not actually been down to the center. Mm-hmm. But the, now seniors are are be anywhere from 60 up. And so there's a lot of working seniors still out there in the workforce. You're one of them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you're, and you're you over 60? Too. Oh, come on, Todd, please. <laughs> I wish I was 60. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's an awful lot that no longer are uh, working mm-hmm. full-time. Yeah. And so we talk about, I talked to them a little bit about, do you know where the senior center is? And depending on where they live, they may or may not know or how long they've lived here. Uh, but it's definitely across from Morin's, and that's usually where people clue in as to, oh, that, 
that red building over there, yep, that was a firehouse which uh, the fire department thought was too old in the late 70s, all right? Mm -hmm. And we have probably this, one of the smallest senior centers in the state, and the parking situation is pretty bad. Uh, we can fit about 27 or 28 cars in that parking lot. Fifth Square. Fifth Square. Yes. Right. Excellent. It's not a square that's well-known <laughs> as far as the name goes. Can they park on the street around there, too, or no? Yeah, but there aren't many places okay. to park on the street. Right. And you better be within uh, one foot of the edge, mm -hmm. or you're liable to be ticketed. Yeah. Uh, so you know how there's a box uh, painted in? Don't pay attention to the box because if you, if you just try to get inside of that that painted area along the sidewalk, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you're not close enough. Yeah. You got to get real close. I don't even think Fifth Square can hold 27. <clears throat> Are you sure? No, I'm not sure, but it's somewhere between 25 that general, general. Okay. But only four or five of those spots are secured for the senior center. So about a few years ago, um, I started talking to our previous mayor and asking our previous mayor, Paul Haro, if we could go visit the Country Club building, which on, at Highland Park. It's been empty now for six or seven years. But we own it, and so there have been a few visits down there by um, delegations from the senior center. Uh, and but the the thing that really caught the interest of the public, or some some people in the public, was the last two years. I think it's the last two years. We've had a parade, a Christmas parade that's mm -hmm. gone from Capron Park down to that area of Highland Park. Mm -hmm. And um, and we then they opened up the inside of the uh, country club building, mm -hmm. and made it look beautiful. And so it caught the eye of a lot of people who began thinking, "Why aren't we doing something with this, with this building?" So a uh, <clears throat> we've had a study going on now for, I think, four, thirteen or fourteen months, uh, with monies that our state senator, Paul Feeney, managed to secure for us. And Charlie Baker signed off on a little over a year ago to hire two architects. And the Municipal Building Commission, and I've been working with them, have been looking at all the possible sites in the city, of which there were at least a dozen, which uh, some of them were empty schools. Mm -hmm. None of them were very, um, <clears throat> very entertaining. Could you name one or two that, um, are, that will not be considered now? But the Richardson School. Okay, yeah. Uh, right here in... Uh, on Pine Street. On Pine Street. Uh, what's the name of the school way down on the bottom of South Main Street? It's way before my oh, time. Oh, okay. I you know the one I mean? Maybe, yeah, way down. It's got the playground down there and the soccer field yeah. on the other side. Yeah. I can't remember what that one is. Uh, well, I'm sure somebody will call in and tell us. I hope so. <clears throat> but anyways, after we went through the whole list, nope, uh, nope, nope, no, all the way through, the last place we looked was Highland Park. And we were thinking building new at that point. 
because we got all these exercise groups occurring, uh, terrific exercise groups happening for 60 and over folks at the Good News Bible Church on West Street. And we know that it's not unusual for 40 people to show up to an exercise group with 40 cars. Well, we couldn't, have, couldn't do that one downtown. So um, we eventually, when, we've, when we discovered that the, it costs approximately $1,000 per square, square foot to build new, let's take a look at the country club. And the mayor, uh, mayor was suggesting it at that point. And I was part of a delegation that went in there with our building inspector. And we, we went through every piece of it last spring. And since then, we've been focusing strictly on the country club. Mm -hmm. And the two architects are trying to come up with ways where we can adapt that building, uh, to not just for seniors. We're talking about, and the mayor thought about this, and I, I agree with her completely to make it a community center on weekends. So then that would be Saturday, Sunday, maybe even Friday night, mm -hmm. and we could have weddings there again, uh, banquets. Uh, people could rent it out. So this is for the whole city, mm -hmm. uh, the use of this building. Uh, we, we have to do it as inexpensively as we possibly can and yet do the job right. Mm -hmm. And we'll have to figure that one out. We're not at that stage yet. Will the city council have to vote ultimately on? I think so. On we will now vote on moving the Reverend Larson Senior Center from South Main Street to P Highland, particularly if it costs city money. Okay. Or because you're, pay you're paying taxes on it now, right? Yeah. Or if we we come up with a uh, we come up with a loan, or even grants. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whatever the city council will have to approve even a grant. So and and, and certainly loans. Mm -hmm. And I want to do this without burdening the community too much, but it's time. There's there's somewhere between twelve and fourteen thousand seniors here in the city. Mm -hmm. And we're just not able to, to serve them as well as we would like to. Mm -hmm. How much larger is that banquet facility, the old Highland Country Club? How much larger is that than the current center for people to socialize? Uh, I don't know the exact square <clears throat> Feet of either. Mm -hmm. I haven't put that in my brain, but it, it it strikes me as it could be three or four times larger. That that would be great. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's and it's going to be at two levels because that's a two level building. You go you walk in on the on the top level, and then the bottom level is built at the side of a hill. Mm -hmm. And we're going to need office space. We're going to need 10 office spaces, and we have room in there for that. And we have a great ballroom that is um, with the gold chandeliers. Have you been in there yourself? Not in a long time, but yes, years ago I was. Okay. They did a fashion show there once that I was part of many, many years ago. So tomorrow night, uh, well, I say night, 530 Mm -hmm. There's going to be a big meeting at uh, the uh, superintendent's office where the school committee meets and with the architects 
Anybody that would like to come at 5.30 for that meeting can get in there if they can fit in. Uh, and so it's open to the public. And it'll be on, I, I'm trusting that it's on television, and I've been told probably on Channel 98. Uh, that's the school, yes, probably. Yeah. So people can watch it at home. And the architects are going to present their ideas and the cost of their ideas. Mm-hmm. We've, they've had several months now mm-hmm. to prepare for this because we haven't met with them publicly since the end of July. So the, the cost that they are coming up with is a company that is basically helps them determine what things cost. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it should be a very interesting meeting. That's tomorrow night, and that's where the school committee meets, which is the high school, correct? Right, right. Okay. And our, 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 our director, um, Kelly Lee, who came, I think, in June, has, um, has helped us prepare for this meeting, and she helped draw diagrams of how she would like mm-hmm. the new building to, to, to be used where the dining room would go, where the, um, the big space that we have in there, we make it a little smaller because we'll, part of it will become a dining room, where all the offices would go, maybe even a game room or an exercise room, mm-hmm. uh, even, even down to the level of um, if we have weddings, where, where, would the pre, uh, where, would the, where would the bride be waiting Sure. While, we're, while they're getting ready for the wedding. And they could actually do those weddings outside, too, couldn't they? Kind of in the and grounds. nice weather, yeah. Yeah. And, and then where the kitchen will go. Uh, so, I'm, I mean, it's, there's been a lot of work done in prepa- preparation for this meeting tomorrow. And what time is it going to be at? 5.30. And it'll be the architects. How many of the, I mean, you'll be there, correct? Uh, yes. And some other counselors, probably, I would think. Uh, any, any counselor that wants to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We do have to take a break for yep. underwriting announcements. We'll be back with the uh, city counselor at large, Ty Waterman, 508-222-1320, if you have a comment or a question on some of the topic topics that we are covering. We'll be right back. Okay, 22 before 12, meteorologist Jim Corbin saying, sunshine today, high of about 60. Tonight, not as cool, low in the upper 40s. For tomorrow, sunshine Thursday, more sun, high in the low 70s. Mild sunshine continues on Friday, currently 54 degrees here. So if we were playing the World Series in Boston, this yes. would have been great weather. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, did did uh, now that what is it three three with uh, Dallas? I mean with uh, the Houston team and uh, the other Texas team. You're the watching, Rangers. You're watching it more than I am. I'm not watching it at all. <laughs> I thought that actually the Rangers had won that they were going on to the World Series. I know they were down three to two. The only reason I'm following it is because my son lives about 40 minutes, maybe 35 minutes from where the Texas Rangers play. He's not a baseball fan, doesn't like football. He is. So when was the last time the Red Sox and the Yankees weren't even in the playoffs? 
It's been a while. Well, last year <laughs> they did the one game thing and you beat us up at Fenway. It's been, I think, for the Yankees, it was like 2013 or something, 12. <laughs> Pretty bad. I know, both teams. Not not good. No. I'm surprised that uh, Aaron Boone is still the manager, but apparently they're going to keep him. <laughs> well, he can get thrown out of more baseball games. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's very good at that. He's <laughs> he gets angry, doesn't he? Yeah, a little My bit. Goodness. <laughs> My goodness. Well, Alex Cora can. I've seen him get a little upset occasionally. Yeah, but Alex well. Alex is always justified. Oh, <laughs> horse. Jeez. We're talking between a Red Sox and a Yankee fan here, gang. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, you know what? I love. Hey, Patriots! Unexpected, good victory. They speeded up play. I don't think anything is going to change, though. I, I mean, Bel what are we doing? But Belichick is not going to be fired. I just, I can't imagine. You got to look at the whole body of work. Twenty-four years. As the head coach, you know, uh, six Super Bowl rings, nine appearances in the Super Bowl. That's that's quite a lot. I think he's in the Hall of Fame. I think so, eventually. <laughs> and how many how many victories is he away from the all time record beating Don Shula? I think what is it, thirteen or fourteen more, something like that. He just got his three hundredth. Yep. He's, I think, third third most wins in the history of coaches. What about uh, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers there, Lombardi? Didn't he have a lot of victories? They didn't play as many games. Yeah. <laughs> he, only, he only won, like, one Super Bowl, didn't he? Or one or two Lombardi? Didn't he win one with Washington? I don't think he, he didn't head coach anywhere else but Green Bay, did he? Well, maybe I'm confusing him with somebody else. Anyhow, right. I am not a football expert, but I enjoy the game. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun to watch, that's all. So before I moved here, I was a Giant fan. If they didn't do well, I'd switch over to the Jets. I loved the Mets and the Yankees. My, my dad used to say to me when we were watching sports, you know, whoever I picked, he'd say, you are a fickle sports fan <laughs> because if one team wasn't winning, I'd go to the other one, you know. Like, well, and fans, enjoy what just happened on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> just enjoy that. Yeah. Okay. Well, what if they could do it again against Miami? Wouldn't it be great? Enjoy what happened on <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so. um, lots of other things going on in the city. Yep. Um you uh what what's going on tonight in the council meeting uh we will um we will talk about the uh the issues that were voted upon in uh in committees last week mm -hmm. it's a two-week process for those mm -hmm. who may not understand it mm -hmm. the first week of the two weeks we we meet in committees Mm -hmm. And then what passes in those committees goes before the committee of the mm -hmm. whole. Right. Uh, I, we're, I don't think we're at the point of, um, see, last week we decided on the uh, tax rate, which is a right. dual tax rate. 
So you that was that was the big thing last week. Yeah. Did you widen it a little bit? I mean, the business always usually takes more. Even, I mean, was was Jack Lank probably was there to say please in in don't the public hearing? Jack yeah. was there. Yes. Right. Uh, I think we. I don't think we made a big change from preview from the last yeah, couple it's of years. Percentage points. I, I uh, we lean. Uh, we lean towards this towards the homeowners. Um, I would go farther personally to helping homeowners with their taxes because when you ask me what do I hear at the doors the most, taxes mm-hmm. is what I hear the most. It's not the only thing I hear. People are concerned about various things, but taxes is number one. Water quality. Uh, which I believe will be uh, improving a great deal uh, over the coming year, uh, is, is one of them. Uh, some people talk about schools uh, and traffic and the quality of roads. And, you know, that, but these are things you always hear about mm-hmm. at, at most, most campaigns sure. every two years. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Regarding the uh, the tax classification, when you had the public hearing, were there some people there to say, "Let's not penalize businesses anymore. Let's let's give the homeowners a break." How, how does the council take all that in and consider it? Uh, it's 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 difficult. It's probably one of the more one of the more difficult uh, subjects that we bring up in the course of a year because in a dual tax system, you're either leaning towards helping the businesses or the homeowners. You can't do both. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can accomplish um, both is not to make much of a change at all and do and uh, minimal, minimally lean towards either side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think we kind of went down the middle. Um, can, I, it, can it ever be absolutely the same? Not the, to, not, um, it's a very complicated subject. Yeah. I'm telling you. Um, I, I've had several uh, tutorials from our city assessor who is, abs- mm-hmm. Julia, Julia is absolutely wonderful if you go in and you want to understand the tax rate. But there's so many factors that go into it. I can understand why uh, uh, why we need city assessors for sure, because most people probably it's it's a difficult subject to grasp. Sure. Okay. Um, at least for me, the social worker, <laughs> it's a difficult <laughs> subject to grasp. Okay. But I I I I get the basics. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what else is concerning to people when they open the door for Ty Waterman? What else are they talking about? Well, when they talk about taxes, uh, if they're seniors, I talk to them about the work-off program that we have at the senior center. Mm -hmm. So that means 60 and over. And we have a lot of seniors who own homes. And when you when your income drops, it's hard to make ends meet and in, a, in a period of rising taxes. And every time we have big homes purchased, seven, eight hundred 
And I just heard a $980,000 home got purchased recently. In Attleboro? Yeah. We haven't hit a million, but we had 980. Mm-hmm. Our assessor told yeah. me that. Is that in the Pike Ave area? I know those I, are very, very nice homes. Uh, I assume it's in that area, but I didn't ask her exactly where it was. There's also off South Main Street, Tyler Ave is a really, really nice homes there there aren't many do you know that that street yeah yeah that's i think wasn't it uh down near locust ted leach owns a home there or he did i think well what so what i talk with people about when they're concerned about the taxes um i tell them we have a we have a program at the senior center and we've had it for a long time where you can volunteer your time and uh doing jobs like uh, going down the dog park or putting books away in the library, or I think there's three positions to clerical positions with the police. I've been told there's three. I'm not 100% sure of that. There's even, uh, an, uh, there was even a person who worked in the assessor's office doing clerical work. Mm-hmm. An hour or two a week, that's all. Wow, that's An awesome. hour or two a week. And there's a lot of people who do, do, do this program down at the Senior Center. Mm-hmm. And so we have a program that allows up to 150 people to get into this program who are homeowners. And they can, be, um, they can get money off on their taxes the following year. So now it's, it's, um, they can work up to 71 or 72 hours at $15 an hour, but they don't get paid money. They get paid in taxes that get exempted. They don't have to pay them the following year. And so I I wanted to make sure people knew about this program. And to find out about more, you would call the Senior Center and ask who, uh, which staff person is in charge of the work-off program. Okay. So it can actually take care of 20% 22 percent of taxes for people who are in modest homes that that, is, that's helpful yeah that's and so we increased it from six hundred dollars uh the mayor and i when she was in city council last february we put in a um, new business to increase it to a thousand mm-hmm. that's awesome that's really really a good good incentive for seniors who you know, are facing those high taxes. It is, and, the, and, and and went to a committee, the finance committee, and Richard Condy fully supported it. And so I give kudos to Richard Condy for doing that. People should know Richard had a lot to do with mm-hmm. helping make this program happen. Right. So it's called the Senior Work-Off, Work-off program. program. And they should call the Reverend Larson Senior Center. Correct. 223 something. I don't oh, know. I, exactly. I haven't memorized it. Yeah. But when you need a phone number with the city, you call the city's phone number, 223 2222, and it'll give you all the phone numbers. That's right. They'll give you the <laughs> extension and it'll connect you yep. right over. Ty, we have to take one final break. It's yep. only about uh, 60 seconds. We'll come back and wrap things up. Thank okay? you. Okay, six before the hour of 12 o'clock, City Councilor at Large, Ty Waterman. Yep. So the phone number, 
at the Reverend Larson Senior Center. For people that want to call direct, is 774-203-1900. But the best way to do it is to call... Call the city at 223-2222 and listen to uh, uh, the recording. And when they get to the Senior Center, you just found it. Yes, extension 3330. Three 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 zero. That's two two three two two Yep. Three 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 zero. Yep. Okay. Are you a member of the of the Larson Senior Center, or do you go there for any? Yeah, I, I go there um, maybe every once every couple weeks. Taxes. I've seen you there. tomorrow. I'm going to be singing over there. Are you really? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to be uh, doing a folk concert. Uh, 1960s music. Wow. Um, and I, I'll be doing um, 11 or 12 songs. Ben Maycomber, I don't know if yes, you know Ben. Ben, the artist. Be, he's great. He's, well, he, he's a drummer. He has his own program, I think, on AACS. So he's bringing his drums. I'll be doing 12, 12, so, 12 uh, 1960s folk songs mm-hmm. uh, with my guitar. And my wife's going to sing one of them with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're on at 10 o'clock. And tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning. At the Senior Center. At the Senior Center. Oh, that'll be great. To about quarter past 11, max. Mm-hmm. And then lunch is, they have a great lunch tomorrow. It's, a, it's their special lunch. Once a month, they have a special lunch mm-hmm. that the staff cooks. At te- and that'll be at 11.30. I have a question. Please. Would they allow somebody who lives in Middleborough to come to the lunch? <laughs> Are you 60? I am. <laughs> okay. You can yeah. come. You can well, be my guest. Alboro is kind enough to allow my wife and I to go there and have our taxes done, which is amazing. Yes. We have uh, free taxes. Yes. And I took advantage of that for the first time last year, and it's, it's an absolutely wonderful mm-hmm. program. Yeah. Joe Pessy, is it? Or what's his? I'm getting his last name. Feroce. F-E-R. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. F-E-R-O-C-E. He organizes it, but there's a lot of staff that work on that. So come a little earlier and come to the music. That would be great. I sang in the choir for many, many years. I could do that, but I just can't play the guitar. So I'm going to be unveiling a new song that I just learned. It's not new at all, but I... Googled uh, Joan Baez's greatest hits. And what do you suppose number one in Joan Baez's greatest hits was? Uh, which I'm going to sing tomorrow. Joan Baez's greatest hits. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't really a, a Joan Baez fan, but I know what was one of her songs. I, I don't remember. There But For Fortune was considered, when I Googled it, her number one hit of all time. It's really a very powerful oh. folk song. Is she still living? And I'm going to sing that. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I haven't heard that she isn't. Okay. Let's put it that Wait way. Wait a minute. Let me see. Uh-oh, I, he's going to find out. I'm going to Google it. And see. All right. Is somebody alive? No. <laughs> Not that, but... Right. Let's see here. What is Joan Baez's all-time most popular number one hit song pregnant silence <laughs> diamonds and rust and covers of 
Phil Ochi there, but for Fortune and the bands, the night, the night they drove old Dixie down. But there, but for Fortune was one of them. Okay. That's the one I'm going to do tomorrow. Oh, are you? <clears throat> See, I didn't, I knew that song, the night. Phil, Phil, Phil Oaks wrote it. Dixie I yeah. didn't know that was her. It was. Oh my gosh. I should have learned that. I'll learn that one for next time. Yeah. We have about <laughs> a minute and a half left. Ty Waterman, city councilor at large, you'll be on the ballot. What's your ballot position? Dead last. Dead last. Just look down to the bottom of the ballot. (laughs) That's where you get used to being when your last name starts with a W. But that isn't how they decided it. November 7th, polls will be open from 7 to 8. For those who haven't already voted. (laughs) And you'll be at the Senior Center tomorrow. Right. I will. Ten, uh, well, I'll be there before 10, but at 10, the, the concert starts. Okay. Final question. Will yes. the Patriots win four games this year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do they get to play Carolina? I think they are on the schedule. Well, there's one of them if they get to yeah. play Carolina. Right. Yeah, the only team. <laughs> and they get to play the Jets again at home. I know. Yeah, people they, don't think they'll win now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, they got Miami on Sunday. I and think. they get to play Washington and the Giants. Yeah. So they, 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 can win, they can win five or six games. Maybe seven. Can they make the playoffs? Probably not. Well, you could make a lot of money in Vegas if you bet on that one and got it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, my friend, for being here. My pleasure. Any last comments? We have a beautiful city. And we need to do everything we can to retain the beauty that we have, which includes some of our open spaces that need to retain, be retained as open spaces. <clears throat> okay. And on that note, we will say thank you for listening. Thank you, Ty Waterman. Thank you, all the members of the Attleboro Cultural Council. And thank you to Dr. DeVoe from Sturdy Associates in Plainville on pediatrics. Paul Healy will be back tomorrow. Have a great day. WARA Attleboro. Democracy Now! is next. How did you ever...